0: I'm going to have to request that once we actually start, you guys need to stop playing Diablo. I don't <laughs> think we need to do that. I, I do, because you guys will get distracted and we do will not be. I
1: point out the number of times that you've played a game while recording a podcast? Played and, you played Gran Turismo,
2: like, Beastback, whatever. So that just, <laughs> that's not a video game. Those Are numbers.
0: You, Gran Turismo, Beastback is literally, I'm going to watch this car go around and around. It's no, no, like no, watching no, NASCAR. No, no, here's the thing. Here, now, now, wait. Now, now,
1: wait. Here's the thing. I agree with John because I know I can't concentrate on do this at the same time. But 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 seriously, there's no way that John was paying attention all the time when he's been playing video
0: games. Oh no, 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 I don't. But I don't need to. <laughs> I'm not the one who's going to be carrying the Diablo discussion. The really? what discussion? I don't even know what you're talking about. Steven, I need f- help.
1: <laughs> well, I'm fighting champions and you're not even over here.
3: What the
4: Steven,
3: hell? I need f- over here. <laughs>
1: to episode 45 of random encounter the rpg fan podcast you know screw it i don't want to do this i'm gonna go back to playing diablo i don't, I don't want to do this i'm already playing can we do steven we all promised we weren't gonna play diablo i'm not playing i lied you know i will log on to battle net right now and see if you're playing
0: <laughs> no you're not rob because if rob logs <laughs> that's, on to that's Battle.net, real he dangerous to play
1: okay <laughs> all right
0: like- I just got to go and check, see if Steven's online, make sure. (laughs) Oh, wait. Okay. Wait, he doesn't say he's online, but you
2: know, like maybe he's like hidden in the game.
1: Okay. Okay. Fine. 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 So, uh, yeah, I'm uh, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards, uh, Diablo 3 addict. Uh, Joining me today, we have Master and Commander of the Universe. Uh,
0: This is John McCarroll. I am John on our forums.
1: Yes, he is. Uh, we have the other guy who is addicted to Diablo 3 about as much as I am, and he's probably going to lose his new job because of it. D- would you stop?
4: <laughs> what? Oh, sorry.
1: sorry. Uh, Stephen Myring, Taylor's on the boards. All right. And then newly college graduate, ladies, he is legal now.
2: I've Woo! been legal for a while, man. Woo! I'm Zach. I'm, I'm super flat on the boards. And now that I've graduated from college, that means I'm a full-fledged adult with a mortgage, a drinking problem three children, and a a problematic marriage. Only one of those are true. (laughs) Only one of those. I'll let you guys guess.
1: Uh, I'm going to go with the drinking problem. You've had that stored up, didn't you? Like you were working on that before the show.
2: I workshopped it.
1: Yeah. You know, I was watching uh, Deathly Hallows Part 2 today, and I immediately thought about my two colleagues, Stephen and Zach. That movie sucks. I haven't seen it. it. It's not very good. I do like the giant Kamehameha at the end of the movie. Like, you know. It goes all Dragon Ball. Hey, remote.
0: I'm really excited for Dragon Ball Z Connect because Connect is all audio, <laughs> and so you can just power up by yelling at your Xbox.
1: <laughs> I want to play it. Uh, so, yes, we have a lot of Diablo to talk about, but... And actually, before we get yes. into Diablo, I'm just going to make
4: sure everyone knows that Rob is in the minority about Deathly Hallows Part
0: 2. <sighs> Don't try uh, to – this is, this is not the Harry Potter podcast. We have two people that
1: write
2: and perform in fan fiction, all right? That's not – fan fiction is a little bit strong there. <laughs> it's it's uh, charity improv, sir. Oh, boy. And, hey, I graduated, so I'm not doing that anymore. Uh, yeah,
1: sure. You're going to go back and do it again. <laughs> no. All right, no, sir.
2: So we obviously have a lot of
1: Diablo 3 to talk about. It's kind of taken over all of our lives, except somehow John has been able to play it and not succumb to its uh, siren song just yet. But uh, before we talk about that, because that'll probably take up way too much of the show, we have another game to talk about. A game that I cannot pronounce, apparently. <laughs>
0: yes. It, it, according to Rob's last post, it says Gung,
1: <laughs>
0: Gung <Rear> is great.
1: <laughs> did I really write that up? Yeah, yeah. I did. You totally yeah.
0: did. <laughs> um, yeah, when we're, when we're putting together the podcast. He's like, "Where's that Gungrir interview that you did?" <laughs> which will be at the end of this podcast. We talked to uh, to a couple of folks at Atlas about the upcoming Sting title Gungnir, which, as I, I told Rob, is the name of Odin's spear. Which all the all the Department Heaven games have the whole Norse mythology thing going for him. But yeah, no, Gungnir is going to be out uh, the week after E3. So it's kind of we do this now, or we're going to be waiting a while.
1: All right, so tell us about the game a little bit. So these are the guys that also did uh, Knights of the Nightmare?
0: Yeah, Knights of the Nightmare and uh, Yggdra Union and Riviera. Which was Um, awesome. Yes, all all of which are very good games, except I really didn't like Knights of the Nightmare. But Um, anyway, so uh, as everyone knows, kind of Sting is known for having these absolutely crazy games and There's a scale of crazy, but every one of them is kind of unique in the way that they approach things. It's not, let's take the standard RPG or strategy RPG or um, bullet hell plus strategy genre, which I don't think actually exists, and, and modify it. It's, let's start and let's do something that's completely unique within these spaces, And what's interesting about Gungnir is Gungnir exists in the space of time is important. And what's incredibly unique is your turn comes up after a certain amount of time. There's a little clock that is on every turn, and it turns and it turns and it turns and it turns. Each one of those is is one hour or one minute or, or something like that. I think it's one hour. And when it's your turn, you can move one character and perform one action. So, but you can control any character. So you have, your, your party's only going to be like four or five characters on every map. So it's not like, oh, here's your army. You only have one turn for each of these people. But oftentimes you'll get two or three turns before the enemies get their turns. But the enemies all have their own unique turns. This is going to get really complicated if I go in depth into it. But um, we're actually going to be posting a gameplay video where I literally just go through an entire mission. Um, so look for that soon. Really? Yes, I I pulled the footage, and I'm doing the voiceover. That's quite awesome. I look yes. forward to that. We, we, we would, we're, we're starting to do video stuff, because I have a thing that lets me record footage. Well, we did one
1: video review, didn't we? We did the video review for uh, Final Fantasy XIII 2, right?
0: No, no, no. I, so I said that I would, and then I got held for time, and uh, we, never, we never actually produced it.
1: Uh, okay, I couldn't remember. I, I tried to avoid that like the plague, so I, I,
0: I didn't. Yeah. So th- that that will probably be our first video thing. But the, the game is very unique in regards to the elements that it brings. And it's one of those titles where I'm going to run into this when I write my review. It's going to be incredibly difficult to say, OK, well, here's how you break this down without spending 900 words just talking about gameplay systems, because that's how the sting games work.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: mm-hmm. needless to say, you can drop in interrupts. Uh, Where it's like, oh, I want to take my turn now if you gain enough tactics points, which you get from moving different characters around, which it's it's an incredibly complicated game. But much like the other sting games, everything fits together.
1: Well, that's what scared me off a little bit about Knights in the Nightmare. When I kind of read up on that game, I was like, whoa, this seems like math. And I don't know if I want to play this.
0: I, and, and Knights of the Nightmare is by far the most complicated of the the Sting games that we've seen in North America. And I think even of those just released in Japan as well. It, it, Knights of the Nightmare is on one end of the scale of crazy, where like Riviera and Hex's Force are on the other end.
4: Hmm. Yeah, I, I remember I played all three of them and I liked Hex's Force. That's like the most vanilla of them. But Knights of the Nightmare is very complex. I mean, I think it's fun, but it, it's not friendly to the new player.
0: Yeah, and it, I don't know who it is friendly towards, and I think that <laughs> part of it is that it is it is unfriendly. It's for the hardcore person that likes both bullet hell shooters and strategy RPGs, which surprisingly they're a great deal of, because I'm one of those people.
1: If you're a fan of bullet hell shooters and strategy games, you might like Knights in the Nightmare. Are,
0: are, are we doing bad Amazon things tonight? You might like Frontline, Fuels of War. You might like Left 4 no. Dead 2.
5: <laughs>
0: you might like Mario Kart. Ah, oh,
5: boy. But
0: it's, it's incredibly difficult to go into Gungnir. And I, I, I've i tried practicing for this podcast. And, like, what am I going to say? And like one of the reasons. I recorded the footage for the Gungnir video preview, like, a week and a half ago. And I'm still going, like, what the hell am I going to say for, you know, the... the Battle's like 15 minutes long i might just put in like a two minute intro where i talk about it and then let the footage go but it's it's a very unique game um the story is pretty interesting you're uh, a member of a resistance force against a overpowering empire which
1: whoa 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 now now wait a minute here that just sounds so new
0: and fresh for the yes. jrpg i mean and then this giant <laughs> spear falls from the earth or falls from the sky after your uh, friends are executed and then you become like the herald of somebody
4: zaka room <laughs> sorry I had to throw a Diablo reference
0: in there
1: I, I, why is it always that we're fighting against an evil oppressive empire why can't we just be the empire and oppress other people
0: you know what I that's one of the reasons I really enjoy the deception games.
1: Oh, yeah, you were saying that, that those games were, like, made for me, and I still need to play them. Yeah,
0: you, you start out, and you're like, oh, by the way, you're evil, and you need to kill everyone who comes into your your castle.
1: Yeah, you, like, make spike traps and stuff for, like, your yes. dinner guests.
0: Yes. <laughs> no,
1: I, <laughs> I need to play. John, do you have an old copy of that? I would really like to play that. at Yeah, I'll,
0: I'll see if I can find a copy of Trapped. For, Trapped is the one for PS2. It has an awful story, but... Uh... It's got the best gameplay out of them because the the first three were PS1 titles and they're all, they're all kind of archaic at this point.
1: Okay, I, I want to play a game where I can like make a throne of death for people to sit on. Yeah, it's it's
0: like I, to- those are, those are interesting games, and I think that there there should be more games where you get to play as the bad guys.
1: Yeah, I I always I don't know why but I really like that. And and not like a moral choice system. I don't want any of this like, oh, you know, I'm going to be paragon or renegade and I'm going to, you know, hit the big red button or something. Like I I want to just be outright evil.
0: You know, I I I think it would be very interesting to see a JRPG come into it with that, and I can't think of any off the top of my head that do. Like, and you know, it could be a Western RPG too. Like, you have The Witcher, where you're kind of in the gray area, but as long as you have a set story where you're the bad guy, I think it would work well. You know, you have Botan Kaitos, where you got that garbage going on, but that doesn't count.
1: Didn't you fight God in that game?
0: No, I think that was Xenogears. Okay. Bot- yeah, botan kaitos is is just like bizarre.
1: Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, do we want to? Uh...
0: No, I'm. I'm. Are we you not? Know, you, you guys don't have any questions about Gungnir? It's like I just want to talk about Diablo.
2: So it's a strategy RPG. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yes. Yes, it, it is. It, it is, <laughs> it, it is a strategy RPG.
2: How 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 similar is it to uh, say Riviera? I that which was the last. Uh, well, Riviera is
0: not a Riviera is a. Mm, Like, not a strategy RPG, so not at all. Not at all, all right, there you go. Yeah, it's Um, kind of Riviera focuses a lot on items, and mm -hmm. Yggdras Union focuses on keeping your troops with morale from battle to battle. Like, you have static statistics. Like, if you get hurt in one battle, you start the next battle hurt unless you Mm -hmm. use an item to heal yourself. Uh, Gungnir's thing is time where you really have to focus on, okay, when can I take my turns? Um, your characters, if they take an action, um, even if your turn pops up again, they can't act, uh, except if you reduce their max hit points. If you really need to use that guy again before it's possible for him to move, you can, but it will hurt you. Can you
4: stock, like, I, I'm? maybe I'm not clear on how this works, but can you stock up time to, like, like, say, if you want to, like, combo a turn with, like, four guys, could no. you stock up enough time to do that? Or is it literally No, no, literally, literally your
0: turn comes up. And you can you can move it along. Like, say you say, okay, I want to wait for the other guy to act. You can say, I want to go forward three hours. And it will then be your turn again after that action. Okay. Um, oh, I know what system I didn't go into. The beat system. So um, I talk about this. Uh, what's, what's funny is you're people who are listening to this you then get to hear me talk about Gungnir again with the folks from atlas so i'm trying not to be too repetitive but the beat system uh works kind of like the link system from front mission where if you have guys in the right place oh yeah I remember when that. you do an attack those other guys will join in i loved that
1: in front mission i really really liked that
0: yeah i I, I say on the podcast, I was really bummed that front mission five never got a localization in North America. And that was the one that did the link system. The best
1: was four the bad one was four the bad one that we got.
0: Yeah. Well, we got three and four three was pretty decent. Four was the one that introduced the link system. And it was only bad because the AI was really dumb, which Gungnir does the exact same thing where it spawns like 10 enemies to fight your four guys. Mm. And only a certain amount of them will start moving. And then others will move as you kill those guys. <laughs> And it's like I I don't that's the one thing I don't like about the game is I'd rather them say, okay here are the guys that you have to fight. Make it work.
1: Yeah, I I really want a return of the Front Mission series, you know, not as an online action game that no one asked for. Like, I want a real hardcore strategy game again.
0: Like I said, I I was really I was really disappointed that Front Mission 5 didn't make it to North America in a way that was supported by the publishers.
2: We got that third-person shooter, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, because that worked out so well for Square Enix when they made Dirge of Server. Oh. oh. Dirge of Server sold
0: a surprising amount of copies, even though the game was not very good. Looking back, one thing that we always discuss, and this is this is an aside, and then we can let Rob talk about Diablo for two and a half hours. <laughs> Um, one thing as reviewers is oftentimes you do look back and you say, you know what, I wish that I could give something a different score. I wish I could say something different about it because sometimes it does take more time. I actually enjoyed Dirds of Sherberus when I played it the first time and I gave it, I think, a 73 for RPG fan. And I think if I would go back, I would drop that score by 10 or 15 points because while I enjoyed it, it looking back, it's not a particularly good game.
1: Yeah, no, I I agree with you a lot. I mean, there there have been some games that I wish I could go back and maybe give an editor's choice to, some games that have stood up better than others. Uh, And Fallout 3 has aged very, very well. It's still very fun, and I I like the fact that that is my highest-reviewed game on the website because I got to review the Game of the Year edition with all the – frills and stuff added to it. So that definitely played a part in my review score. And I think John would also be, uh, I think I'm speaking for John when I also say that sometimes you may enjoy a game more than the score that it deserves. And, you know, very famously, I I gave Dark Souls a 90. It's one of my favorite games of all time, but it's a 90. I mean, it, it does have some issues here and there. It's not a perfect game, but I enjoy that game far more than the score that I gave it.
0: I think that that you know I don't remember if we've had this discussion before on the podcast, but it's certainly a discussion we've had before as a staff. Where is it? How much you like a game, or how objectively good you think the game is? And it, it's really difficult to strike a a you know a, a medium there because different people will look at one. Different people will look at games different ways. I know I got a couple of mails when I reviewed Hyperdimension Neptunia Two, and I said this game is significantly better than its predecessor, which I thought was absolutely abysmal. And I gave it a 60 because it was still pretty bad. But Dennis actually liked the first game and gave it a 74. And people said, well, why why is it that you gave it a 60, but you gave the first game a 74? Well, it's I didn't different. review the first game. Exactly. Even, it's different reviewers. Even, even though sometimes you see our outlet as having a, a unified voice, there are 15, 20 different people working on this website and reviewing different games. Mm -hmm. Mm
4: -hmm. Yeah, I actually, that's, it's interesting that you guys would bring that up today too because I was actually telling some of my friends that like, for me, I mean, I played Diablo 2 and Diablo 1 so much and I wrote the review for Diablo 3 and I actually had to stop for a while. I, I wrote like four paragraphs and erased it all because I was like, it's really difficult for me to be objective and write a review for this game for somebody that may not have played the other ones, but also like, Address people who go, okay, I played Diablo 2 for 5,000 hours. What do I need to know about 3?
0: And that's really interesting. It comes down to who do you think your audience is going to be? Like when I wrote my Final Fantasy XIII 2 review, I went into it assuming that based on the readership of RPG fan, I assumed that the person was at least somewhat familiar with Final Fantasy Mm -hmm. Mm thirteen. Yeah which is smart yeah. I think. Yeah,
1: I mean uh, Steven and I were basically trying to push the Diablo 3 review onto each other because I didn't want to review it. I had I had no desire to review that game. I mean Diablo 3 as we as we start to move the discussion forward, uh, Diablo 3 I am having an absolute ball with the game. I'm really really enjoying it. It's great, but I think Steven's review, which I will be proofing tomorrow and it will probably go up before the podcast, I very much agree with Steven's review, and it's not a perfect game, but it is a, it's is—it's a wonderful game that I'm very much enjoying, and I'm having a great time with it. So th- there's an element of, like, how much am I enjoying this game versus how objectively good is it? And, and you know... You,
0: you can even go into the argument of, is there such thing as objectively good? Because essentially what a review is is your experience with the game. So <laughs> it, it, it really is kind of a balancing act of trying to figure out what it is that you really feel about something, yep.
4: uh, yeah, yeah, and that's and that's interesting, too, because, like everybody on the site, as far as I can tell, absolutely hated Tales of Symphonia, Dawn of the New World, and I played that and actually had a lot of fun with it. And everyone was like, "Oh, this game is garbage. And I was like, really, it wasn't that bad. So I mean, objectively, I can say it was a pretty clunky game, but I had a blast with it. so uh, I, think,
0: I think that we've we've had this discussion before where, I think that you can like a game that is flawed, and I think you can love a game that's flawed, and you can recognize that it has flaws. But every person is looking for something a little bit different in their games, and we've had this discussion before, where where kind of with uh, we we've had this discussion with Robin and Kyle. They look for very different things in their games, and yeah. that's okay because you know what. There are hundreds of games released every year, and there's one for each person. Even if I say I don't like it, even if I review your favorite game and I give it a zero and I say this game is garbage, <laughs> that's that's my thoughts on the game. And you know what? It's okay for me to disagree with you. and It's okay for you to love that game. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, Also, what's interesting is when you have games that try new things or games that scratch a particular uh, niche audience – you can see a real disparity in review scores. I mean, uh, the one Sony executive very, very uh, adamantly said that he thought Demon's Souls was crap when he played it. And that's why they didn't bring it to America. And that game was able to find an audience. We're seeing it now with uh, Dragon's Dogma, which is really getting scores of like, you know, one guy gives it a seven or a six, and another guy gives it a nine, which, you know, still is objectively on the good side of the scale. But it's showing a wide disparity in what do people think of this game? Is this game a title for everyone? And I think that that's the other thing. Uh, certain games, I can put them in front of you know people of all ages, of all different creeds and backgrounds, and they're going to enjoy, while other people maybe – you know Stephen will like a more punishing game more than another player, for example. Dark Souls is a great example of that.
4: We love that game, but there are people who hate that game with a, just a fiery passion, and that's –
0: Just an example. Oh, I remember what I was going to talk about. Dragon's Dogma. (laughs) No, just Dragon's Dogma. I've had a chance to play it. I'm really not enjoying it. But I can see kind of the people that do. Rob and I were talking about this before during our pre-show. And you know what? Dragon's Dogma is really going to appeal to people that like Monster Hunter. And people who like that kind of game. That's not me. Like, I feel like, why am I doing this? There's really no point. There's no story in this. Yeah, the boss battles are cool when I climb on a guy and, and slice a hydra's head off. As long as you don't glitch into the floor. Yeah. Well, I I did glitch into the... F- or no, what game did I glitch into the floor? It was like, oh, you found a secret and respawned me. <laughs> <laughs> it was something I played recently. It may have been Dragon's Dogma, but I don't remember. <laughs> <sighs> Uh but no, I mean that that goes on with the there's a game for you no matter who you are or what you enjoy. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh I think we're all in some way enjoying Diablo three, uh the latest Magnum opus from Blizzard. Uh, it is it is good. Hang on a second, I have to inhale
4: my collector's edition. <laughs>
1: Okay, so how pathetic is this that Steve and I are on opposite sides of the country? Uh, not opposite sides of the country. I'm a, I'm in Philly. Stephen, you were were you still down in South Carolina at the time? For another three weeks. Okay. So Steven's down in South Carolina. I'm on the East Coast in Philly, and we both go to the midnight openings at our respective game stores, both participate in trivia contests. And both win. Both win and buy our collector's editions for Diablo 3. I got a very, very large
4: display box of Diablo 3 for naming more Herodric Cube recipes than anybody else in the building. Like, it wasn't even cl- – like, I'm going to ring my own bell here. The next closest guy named like five. I named like 13 and I, they were like,
0: e- all right, we give up. I don't even know what that thing is. <laughs> we, had,
1: we had a general Diablo lore knowledge and there were 65 possible points. I got 64 because I couldn't remember what one of the components to go into the secret cow level was. I forgot it was a tome of town portal. I forgot that part, <laughs> but I knew everything else. So I got a 64 out of 65. The closest person to me got a 19. Nice. It was domination, like absolute domination. So we get we get the game. We bring it home. We stay up till three thirty in the morning, and we were clearly playing on. It. Oh, oh, that's right. I didn't sleep.
4: I, I I meant to sleep, but I kept talking to my friends and hanging out. So instead of sleeping before work at eight
1: o'clock, I stayed awake staring at hour thirty seven. <laughs> okay, so can we before we start talking about the game? I I have to talk about this. Error 37, the fact that in 12 hours a meme was created and then basically abolished because Blizzard got their act together. I have never seen that before where there are now Error 37 t-shirts available on IGN. And I'm like, guys, that problem was a very limited amount of time on launch day. Really? But like,
0: that's that's in, how memes work. It's let's take something that was – ridiculous yeah or not not ridiculous but let's take something that was a shared experience no matter how short of a shared experience but because people were were very gung-ho and wanted to play they kept well, i want to get in i want to get in i want to get in i want to get in
1: yeah yeah I mean, that's that's a very good point like, but but here's my point here's my point with the whole thing does anybody even know if Terra had a successful launch after its first day uh, I don't know it's it's still that game that like their servers see. are running you guys see the point I'm making here
0: ask stephen Harris he knows
1: but the, yeah, he actually liked it a lot The point that I'm making, and that's not to be disparaging on uh, Terra. That's not what I mean to say. What I mean to say is that people were assaulting Diablo and Blizzard and saying how this was the single greatest travesty in the history of existence. I believe after about 30
4: minutes, the word debacle was used by Kotaku. They were like, the Diablo 3 debacle. How can Blizzard avoid this in the future? And And I was like, here's how they can avoid it. When 6 million people try to get into a box made for 500,000, some people fall by the wayside.
1: And and now you could definitely make the argument that Blizzard should have been a little bit more up on it. These are the World of Warcraft I,
0: guys. But, no, 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 no. Hold but on, hold on. But you can't. <laughs> you you truly can't. Ga- be, because when a game becomes the fastest selling PC game of all time, selling three point however many million copies in a single day, you can't prepare for that. You know what? They may I, – I think that Steven's exaggerating saying they had a box for 500000 But if you prepare for 2 million people in one day and you get 3.4 – Yeah. Yeah, you're going to have some issues.
4: And but, I, if I recall too, I read – um I have a friend on Twitter. He, he does like IT work, and he said people don't understand. When you have to install new server blades, you have to buy the hardware, get it, install the software on it, troubleshoot it, and then install it into the server farm. And that yeah. takes actual physical labor and time.
0: Like it, if – If you've, it's like building a computer because a server, all all a server blade is, is a computer in a different format. Right. So, so literally it's like, we need more servers. It's not like, Oh, here, let me go to the store and pick up a server (laughs) that's tailor made for Diablo. Pick up
4: a fully configured Diablo three server blade.
1: Well, and that's what really aggravated me about the whole thing. Like, uh, Steven, you and I played a fair bit of the beta. Okay. Did we think that there was any way that they were going to flip that switch on and that game was going to start working at 3 a.m.? No, that's why I went to sleep. I was like, there is no way it's going to work. Like, you know I'm going to go to bed.
4: I maintained unrealistic hope. My best friend came over at 3 a.m. And I looked at him and I said, this game is going to go on at 3 a.m. and we aren't going to touch it until tomorrow. And he's like, what do you mean? I was like, the servers are not going to work. I'm bracing myself for disappointment right now. And sure enough, it, you know, by 530, at five five 45 ish we were able to get on, but and that's after that, actually I never when saw I it started again, playing
2: but. is about five thirty, <laughs> you know what yes. I.
1: You know what? I Here's what I did. Here was my Diablo 3 experience. I got my collector's edition. I brought it home. I went to bed. I woke up at 8.30 in the morning, brewed myself a cup of coffee, canceled class for my students, and sat down and played a wonderful 10-hour marathon of Diablo 3 with no connection issues until they kicked the servers down because they had major issues after the first 24 hours.
0: I, I got a copy. uh didn't work. The, I got my box copy the day before it came out, and I started playing, what, like two days later?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm, but for ev- like literally, the internet exploded on this game. Major news sites were reco- were reporting that you know this was the debacle. This was terrible, and I'm just sitting there going like, what major online game? And we're going to get there in a second. We're going to talk about whether or not Diablo three has to be online. We are going to talk about that. But Diablo three is an online game. That's what it is. It it's it has to be always connected to the internet. And what always connected to the internet? out-the-gate game has ever been perfect
0: none yeah. especially not world of warcraft one thing that i find interesting is it seemed like the the hate machine surrounding this was worse than sony got when they leaked information when they got hacked yeah yeah credit cards
4: were uh
1: compromised
4: Look, and that listen was a, that was less of a deal Credit cards and personally identifying information are important information people can't lose. But, dude, I have to find SOJs, and I have to do it now. <laughs>
1: I think that's what really frustrated me about the Diablo 3 craziness, and now thankfully, most major review sites waited to review the game until after a week. You know, they let the servers get calmed down. People actually beat the game. That's one thing that not nobody was really calling anybody out on was the fact that nobody got to play this game early. Blizzard was emphatic. The servers went on at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Nobody played Diablo 3 early and could beat it early except for that one guy in Korea that beat the game in like Eight hours but that dude's crazy. But like the next day you had reviews going up on small, you know, websites of people trying to get user scores, giving the game 1 out of 10 saying oh. it doesn't work, it's broken. Well, you
0: know? What what's oh. funny is it, it's the same deal with the Mass Effect 3. It got bombed user bombed on Metacritic, which you know I, m- you can have whatever idea you want with Metacritic as a tool. But like I there, There's absolutely no trusting Metacritic in regards to user titles anymore, mm. because it's... literally they're all just totally broken. If there's anything that anyone might not, not like a tiny, tiny bit about it. Yeah, basically.
4: It's, and, it's... and you know what? I, I don't. I don't we I don't think we should downplay that some people are having legitimate connection issues because they still are. And I definitely feel bad for those people. And I, you know, know, some people on the site have actually had problems with it. And I I don't doubt that they did. And that really sucks because I'm having a blast. And if I couldn't get connected, I'd be really mad.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that because it's the Internet, things get magnified. Definitely. You know, it's it's. Think about it, you know, 3.5 or 3.4 or whatever million people and then six in one day and six million in a week. And even if you have, you know, 15,000 people posting about major issues, think about it. That's that's sub 0.1 (laughs) percent. Good point. But it's a debacle. It's a debacle. (laughs) You know what?
4: I think what it really all stems from is that the game is ridiculously anticipated and everybody loved Diablo. Basically, almost everybody loved Diablo 2, and they're finally like, oh, I can play 3 Wait, I can't, oh my god, I hate you, Blizzard, that sort of thing. I I you feel know, like I, some of the most vocal people were probably some of the biggest fans of Diablo.
0: Doing the math, I don't want to sound like an idiot, that's not sub 0.1%, that's sub 1%, um, just doing the math in my head and correcting myself.
1: Yeah, it's it's just disappointing to me, because I think the internet was like primed the hate on this game and they turned around and people started losing their minds and within hold on a sec guys i'm about ready to sneeze nope nope holding it back um within 24 hours most of the major issues were resolved and a lot of people were playing the game and having a great deal of fun with it and you know steven's right we have some guys on the website i know dave's been having a really hard time playing and that breaks my heart and you know i really wish there was something that could be done there i don't know where the problem is coming in that sucks because i think as we move away from the debacle of diablo argument and start talking about the actual game i think the actual game is pretty freaking awesome
2: is really quite fantastic actually it's okay Never. Never. oh oh john
4: <laughs> he's important we can't block him from the podcast right
1: yeah no that's true that's true i think he's got your e3 tickets so you're kind of screwed
2: Hey, I never played Diablo two until about two weeks ago and I tried to play Diablo two and that How game is is okay, but Diablo three is pretty good. <laughs> I'm just throwing I'm throwing that opinion out there.
4: The, I think that opinion will have some people on the internet just trying to attack you.
2: Yeah. Like, well here, let me let me uh, let me go into my experience a little bit. Certainly. Diablo two I I was trying to play in anticipation of this game and, you know, because everyone's like, Oh, it's the best game ever. You know, I've played millions of hours. I started playing as a necromancer and ran into a lot of the issues that are, you know, issues, I should say air quotes, um, that some people hold as, you know, quintessential parts of the Diablo experience, namely, you know, creating a character build and, and going through the ladder mode and, and playing with other people. Um, I had a lot of problems because I had no clue what I was doing. You know, it was my first time ever through the game and I made it to the end of act one and a little bit into act two and just ran into a whole bunch of problems trying to create, you know, like the perfect character picking and choosing each necromancer skill. Like what the the, pro, the biggest problem I ran into is, you know, what is going to be better for me one point into, you know, like one extra point into uh you know uh, extra skeletons or do I want the skeletal mage or maybe I want skeleton mastery um and, and I, Diablo I, 3 does away with all of that and it's so great
4: I think you're going to run into basically two schools of thought there you're going to run into people who say that's the game you know deal with it you know the the point is the trial and error and then you're going to run into people who say I shouldn't have to recreate my – I shouldn't be able to break my character within two hours of playing. I mean it got to the point where I would be playing Diablo 2, and I'd start a new character, and I wouldn't put any points in until I was like level 30 because it's like, well, I just got to wait and dump them all into one skill.
0: I think that you can come to a middle ground there. Like I'm totally happy with the way that Wizard handled skills in Diablo 3 because it's functional and it works, but I think that you can also take uh, skill trees and – Do them better than Diablo did. Diablo did did fine for its time for skill trees, but it lacks a respec. I think you give people the ability to respec, and the whole issue of I have to rebuild my character goes away.
4: They actually added respecs in a patch uh, late—I think it was like two or three years ago. You actually get three respecs per character.
3: Well, but which,
1: the the okay. problem with the respect is that you still—and I agree with John that that would clear up a lot of the problems. But then the problem becomes like, okay, so now you you reach level 30, and so you have 150 attribute points to put in. So now I'm going to sit down and I'm going to do 20 attributes here and 40 attributes here. And yeah, it's a better system than not being able to respect, of course, but it still gets to the inherent problem of like— In Diablo 2, because of the way that the game was made, and this is why Diablo 3 works so much better in this respect, Diablo 2 was made, you know, just get enough strength to be able to equip the best equipment, same with decks. Dump it into vitality. And then dump everything um, into Vitality for for keeping you alive. The one thing that I think no one's really commented too much on Diablo 3 is that this plays very, very well as an action RPG. I mean, when you start playing on the higher difficulty levels, it becomes a game of crowd control and resource management and making sure that those health globes are on the ground and you run up to them. I mean, everything has been crafted and layered together whereas i think in diablo 2 the skill trees were an awesome idea and it was one of the first games to really have an effective skill skill tree but it was kind of on its own little island everything in diablo 3 has been integrated together from each character class having their own resource and the own way that it behaves their abilities their passive skills and Everything is linked together. And there are so many different builds that you can get. And you don't even have to worry about a respec because I can just sit there and go, well, wait a minute. I've I've been playing as my witch doctor for a while. Why don't I make it so my minions have a little bit more survivability? And now I'm going to equip some items that give me some life leech skills. And now they get the benefit of those life life leech skills. That's the thought process
2: that starts to happen. There's a lot more strategy than there is simply, okay, well, this is a predetermined build that I know is you know, quantifiably better than this other build. A lot of the interviews that, that the designers on, on Diablo 3 were doing are talking about how there's now, you know, like a billion viable builds or whatever. And, you know, granted, this you know, a billion is probably a little bit stretching it, but I've certainly found at least a good, like, six different ways, you know, to comfortably play my monk. And and not have to worry about, you know, like, oh, well, you know, or or even if I was worrying about some skill, I could just switch it out real quick, see how much better something else was, and then go from there.
4: And what I found, too, is I, I told this to Robin. I think, actually, I might have mentioned it to John. I can't remember. But for me, the way the skill system works now reminds me a lot of, like, say, like the first Guild Wars or Phantom Dust or building a Magic the Gathering deck. Now it's a matter of, okay, these are – this is what I have at my disposal. I don't have to worry about putting points into it or respeccing I can mix and match these any way I want to make them most effective. Which passes will work the best to make this skill most effective for me? Which defensive skill will play best into the, the, the way I play? You know, as a wizard, I tend to run directly into the fray, use the Archon, and then start pounding the ground like a psycho. So, of course, it's for me, it's good to have, you know, Ice Armor with—or, uh, not Ice Armor, uh, I can't remember the name of the skill. It crystallizes and absorbs a ton of damage. So I can run into the fray, absorb a ton of damage, and just be pounding enemies. Whereas conversely, somebody else could say, I want to use Arcane Orbalot and I want to do a ton of damage from far away. They can pump stats into, like, Glass Cannon, which gives you, you know, bonus damage but takes away armor, and stay out of the fight but do a ton of damage that way. And it's it's, it's like building a deck
1: in Magic the Gathering, and I, for me, it, it works really well. Now, the problem that that does create, and this gets to what Zach was talking about before the show, normal mode in this game is Training Wheel C- City.
2: Where- really easy. It's brutally
1: easy. You don't open up a lot of skills very quickly. It feels very limited when you first start playing this game on normal. Like, it's been kind of rough because, you know, I I barreled through the game with my witch doctor. I got to the end of Nightmare, and I started playing as some other character classes. And the beginning of the game is easy and slow, and you don't have a lot of variability. Now, the the skills start coming quickly, especially at the end of Act 1. You really start getting more things opening up, and it, it really starts to develop. But this game is interesting in that they don't anticipate you replaying the game. If you have a level 60 Demon Hunter, they don't anticipate you restarting another Demon Hunter unless you want to try hardcore mode, the, the mode where if you die, they they wipe your character. Now, w- what makes you say that? Because there are 10 character slots. Right, and so what that means is that you have five slots for soft core characters and five st- slots for hardcore characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's I, what
4: suppose I, would, I, I suppose that's what it boils down to. I
1: mean, I mean, for me, I never play hardcore, so I have no desire to play hardcore either. And now this is the the point that I'm trying to make is that I really like to replay games. Like this is the reason I replayed Deus Ex, why I replayed Dark Souls. I love to replay games from the very beginning of my character's progression because now with the knowledge that I have available to me and I know what things are coming up, I can really optimize a build and I can really go through and try different things. Diablo 3, since you can't, you know, suddenly unlock a different skill at level 13. It's already been predetermined what you're unlocking. The variability comes from your loot, and there is a lot of variability with that. But I don't think Blizzard really wants you to replay a level 1 Demon Hunter after you've maxed one. They expect you to move on into their infinite mode, which is Inferno, which is a mode that always keeps challenging and always supplies loot. Whether or not that works, I don't know. I haven't reached the mode yet. We've heard a lot of rumblings about it. I haven't had a chance to try it out myself. But I think it's a novel idea. I don't know if it's going to work, though. And that, that to me, could lose a little bit of the replayability. But at the same time, it's replayability just for the sake of replayability. I wouldn't have been getting anything
2: new out of it. I mean, one of the issues that we were talking about before the show is that you know we have you have Diablo 3 as this great moment to moment gameplay experience where the the individual sequence of you know like oh I'm I'm fighting this elite enemy and I have to manage where my health orbs are and my potions and you know like what sorts of skills I have going on the individual you know like the 92nd gameplay loop is pretty great but then once you get past that into the itemization, and I don't know if we want to talk about the auction house right now, but everything that's going on kind of at the at the metagame level almost is yeah. a little bit broken right now. And Blizzard has a really good track record of going back into their games, so I don't think we're going to have to worry about, you know, broken itemization for terribly long. But if they really do want that Inferno mode to continue as this infinite mode progression then I think we really need, you know, like, we're going to need some sort of change to come into effect.
4: I actually, I, I mentioned that in my review, too, that a lot of people have voiced concerns, and I, I am definitely one of them, having played a lot of Diablo 2, is that the way itemization works now is essentially, I have a weapon. It doesn't matter what it is. I don't care at all. all the only thing I care about is plus stats and the base DPS and that weapon maybe the attack speed. And yeah. it's just, as you go on and on, it, you... You have wiggle room, especially in normal, to get those other abilities, but the, the itemization just isn't as crazy and wacky as Diablo 2 was. See, Diablo 2, you could
0: find some... Sorry, go ahead, John. Well, well I can't I, I can't speak to it as compared to Diablo 2. Um, I've really enjoyed... My build right now is, with all of my different uh, items, I made sure to get plus uh, lifesteal or whatever it is that the stat it ends up showing up on your weapon... And so I, I literally I get like a hundred health, um, every time I kill or every time I hit something. Like it's.
1: See, and now I agree with John, and I, I see where both of you are coming from on this, and I agree with John in that. You can look for those things. You can look for, like, Life Leech or things like that. Some of the crazier aspects of Diablo 2. But I agree with Steven in that the main stats that you're looking for are damage, like how much it's helping out your damage, and if it's improving, like, your vitality or a major stat. Yeah, but it's it's just those those particular stats are so powerful that Well, in no, a way— no, no. But, But here's where I think it's coming from. It's coming from the fact that they made it so friendly to see how much damage you do that now your focus has shifted over. We're talking about a very metagame aspect here. Because remember in Diablo 2, you had no real way of seeing how much damage you could really do. Except when you went into your uh, your like character menu, you saw how much base damage you did, but then you had to do the multiplication and whatnot in your head to see how it would work. They tell you outright how much DPS you have in Diablo three, and I think that's making it so that that's what we're focusing on is the damage and see, the vitality. I did
4: think about that, and I, I agree to an extent, but you still run into the issue of I'm a wizard. I shouldn't want to carry a big sword around. I should be carrying, you know, a wizard weapon. Well, and, I think you know, th- in Diablo two, it was like, okay, I found this, I found, you know, I found frostburns. This is awesome. I'd get 25% mana. This is great for a wizard. Whereas in Diablo three, a sword is a sword is a sword. All that matters, the only thing that makes it a wizard weapon is that there's plus int on it. Well, all th- I care about are the two big
1: numbers. Well, they did, did they did, did that to really nail a couple of problems from Diablo two, like the uh, the sorceress and necromancer. Like I I really didn't care what I was carrying in my offhand, except for the the base. Like how much mana was it giving me per second, or was it giving me life leech? I didn't care about how much damage it was doing because all the damage from my skeletons and my minions that was all handled outside they've They've tried to put all the character classes on a balance by making it based on your weapons, and it works for all the character classes, I would argue, except for the wizard and witch doctor. Because like my witch doctor right now is carrying around a giant freaking sword, and it is kind of weird,
2: but it makes it so that that way he relates to the other character classes and he's not an outlier. I mean it's weird for the monk too though because yeah. I have like <laughs> a sword and a shield, and then whenever I go to beat someone up, they literally teleport to my back and I just punched the dude. Well, and they said so, so that that's
1: because they, they didn't have the time to put in the weapon animations
2: for each one of the monks' I mean, skills. true, but at the same time, like, why, you know... Well, why didn't it, they? I, I, would re, I mean, sure, you know, like, the, the thousand-fist strike or whatever it's called would be really awesome with two swords, but at the same time, I feel like there's, there's some... I, I agree with Steven that there is a disconnect between, you know, like, the, you know, the simple increase of stats and what, the the items represent as items. Yeah,
4: like, for me, I don't even know what my weapon is right now. Like, I just know that it has 120 DPS and plus 90 ints.
1: I literally cannot remember what type of weapon it is. Well, I think they should let you use the Vanishing Die on your weapons. So that that way, like... Because I don't like playing as a monk carrying around two swords. I think it looks kind of weird. And I I like the idea of my monk being, you know, Goku from Dragon Ball and just punching people really hard. You know, da-da-da-da-da. That's what I... That's what I want out of my monk, and I would really like it if I could, you know, sort of like how Shepard has the ability to turn off his helmet, and you could do that in Dragon Age as well, so you weren't walking around with a stupid-looking hat as a mage, so you still always looked cool. I kind of wish that they would do that with Diablo Three. Like, let me
2: turn the weapons off, so that, that way I don't see them anymore. Or, it's but I just, mean, like, think about what you're saying right now. Does that not point to itemization being? Kind of really broke well but I but I remember the itemization in Diablo
1: too, and I didn't care about what the only thing I cared about was what item was I was my
2: necromancer carrying around that gave me some light leaf ability and and but if I, you think I will about say I will say two things that contradict each other that sounds really stupid, and also Diablo kind of works because of it
4: yeah the thing is Diablo had its own wacky weird logic, and that's what. The item hunt was in that game was finding crazy items with ridiculous stats on them, like punch a guy and he teleports 50 feet away and then explodes or some ridiculous thing like that. And I'm not seeing those things in Diablo 3. I'm just seeing okay, this makes my skill stronger.
1: Right, and I, I think that we need to, by playing more of the game, we might see something happen. I mean, the fan response right now to Inferno mode has been pretty negative, which I find interesting because everybody who's sitting there complaining that Diablo 3 was too easy, then they get to Inferno, they're like, oh, it's too hard. I'm just like, oh my God, just just pick one already. Now, it could be that it's inherently b- broken, but I think people are just predisposed to complaining about Diablo right now. I don't want to sit here and give off the impression that I am a Diablo defender. I totally see where you guys are coming across it really pissed me off when i found out that the monk didn't just equip fist weapons that really bothered me i was like why is the monk carrying around a scimitar i mean let me let me just
2: clarify it doesn't really piss me off i i'm really liking the game like a lot way too much more than i have a lot of games in the recent past and you know so let's let's not paint in broad strokes that just because it's goofy that my monk teleports his sword and shield to his back. You know, it's still and, and, a really good game.
4: And to be totally honest, Diablo 2 was goofy, and that's what I liked about it. And I liked that this one it has weird crap like that too. Just, I'm a so I'm a wizard. I'm carrying around a two handed broadsword that gives 500 intelligence. It makes me this sword makes me a genius, and I never use it. <laughs> and I, I I actually have to admit I kind of laugh because the monk has a few attacks where. He doesn't put his weapons on his back. He actually punches with his fists with oh, his, yeah. his hand. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like he's like intentionally not pu- – he's like lifting his hands up to punch with the part that isn't holding a weapon. It's all that strength training. you know. You guys yeah, have I know. He's and... just awesome like That's that. That's
1: why he needs dex. I think that w- the thing that we are kind of pointing out to – and Steven said it when I when I said that those weapon animations weren't in the game. And he said, well, why aren't they? I think Blizzard kind of got into a bad situation with Diablo 3 where – I think they very realistically could have worked on this game for another eight months, but they kind of said, look, we, we're going to start sinking money into this project, and how much more are we going to improve it? Let's bring it out. Yeah, and I think the base game that they've released – and I say base game because Blizzard has already said in their financial reports and in uh, their investor calls and whatnot that the Diablo 3 Diablo is going to be a similar platform to StarCraft and WarCraft. Where we're going to be seeing expansions, we don't know if they're going to be major updates, we don't really have any idea what they're going to do, but they this is not dead. Even in the in the um, freaking uh, making of DVD, which I've been watching, they even talk about some story ideas that they could go with. We're going to talk about story in a little bit, too. Yeah, uh, I, I definitely agree with that. Like,
4: the, I think they've even said, too, that they'll be doing content updates, so I have no doubt that there will be stuff to do in the game.
1: Yeah, and the base game that they've released is finished. Is finished and fun and polished and good. Whereas Diablo 2, which is a game that. Has been basically put on a pedestal at this point. I mean, Diablo 2 is one of the weirdest games ever released, in that when it came out, it got a lot of eights and you know p- pretty decent re- review scores, and people were like, "Yeah, it's good, but it's a lot like Diablo One, and it's kind of broken." And then Lord of Destruction came out, and they patched it, and that's why that game was still playable twelve years later. Diablo 3 has come out, and it's infinitely more playable than Diablo 2 was when it first came out. But now is it going to have the longevity of yeah. Diablo 2? Are they going to support it? I don't have an answer
2: for that. I don't And, I know. mean, that's, that's kind of what I was talking about, how I was saying, you know, like the 90-second gameplay loot of find a mob, try to Just beat the crap him. out of the mob, and probably do so successfully unless you're playing on Inferno, um, and then, you know, take the loot and move on that works really well and they've crafted a very good experience around kind of placing the health orb pop-ups just so that you you know you're almost running out of health or placing you know that that extra loot drop so that you're thinking oh man i could really use a like a little bit more dps and you get that loot drop and i think that so far they've crafted a very fun and rewarding experience it's the first game in a very long time, where I've said, "Oh hey, I just found this plus thirty item, like plus thirty dex item." I'm so excited because, like, realistically, finding some item in a game shouldn't be that exciting. But for some reason, it really is.
0: Well, they yeah. yeah. Hey, I, I gotta cut in here. Do you know what breaks that? What? Oh, here auction we go. house. Here we go. Guess who hasn't
2: touched the auction house? Yeah, I and, haven't either. And guess how happy I am. I agree with.
4: John is about to make a point. I just want to make it known that I agree completely with it. It definitely changes the flow of the game.
0: Yes. So the auction house and remember, the auction house has an inherent feature in that it is player driven. But in World of Warcraft, it works because the, you know, you have your limited number of resources. You come through, you have unique items that are specific to certain areas whatever and it comes through and and you get tiered stuff now over time that breaks like in world of warcraft uh copper is incredibly expensive now even though it's the lowest tier metal but there's still equilibrium things get priced equally well when we were doing our pregame we were all playing diablo and i was like okay i'm gonna go to the auction house i have three thousand gold which is not much at all i'm gonna buy some gear I bought, enough my, my character was already pretty well geared. I bought enough, uh, okay, I'm going to get the terms wrong, not unique equipment. What did I buy? Uh, rares. I bought enough rares to literally double my DPS, and I still had 500 gold left over.
4: Yeah, I, I definitely think that part of that is due just to the fact that the auction house, you know, you find so much stuff that people aren't charging as much for it. And I think also we're running into the game is so new that nobody really has a relative value for this stuff Mm -hmm. because there's so much of it.
2: I mean, yet yet another issue is probably that, you know, it is normal mode. John, you know, just to clarify, is on normal mode right now. And realistically, you know, like now that I've played through the game and kind of seen what normal mode has to offer, you're best off just getting through that as quick as possible. And so, like, I feel like normal mode equipment probably doesn't have that same – level of you know in importance just on a very basic level that would demand so much money. Oh, but and,
1: and they also prevent somewhat from you you from getting too overpowered because they do put level caps on equipment. Now mm. granted John being able to double his DPS with spending a little bit of gold that does worry me but i think that's something that blizzard has to analyze and it's something that hey maybe they don't want to fix it maybe they want to create that community aspect of like hey if you're having a really hard time with this game you're playing on normal right now and you want to get through you want to experience the title and maybe you're not like my fiance jackie is not going to play diablo 3 on nightmare i don't think she is she doesn't have any desire to she wants to play the normal mode wait wait and- wait
4: wait 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 wait, wait.
1: She used your radiant gems and she's a normal. Steven, we're going to have a serious conversation about this before we're married. Okay. I believe me. I, am I'm with you on this. What? This is a serious problem right now for our relationship. Uh, I'm but, sorry to interrupt. Continue. No, no, no. It's fine. Uh, but she has no desire to play the game on the higher difficulty levels. So if she is running into problems and she can't find, you know, like if I can't play with her because we're using the same account, she doesn't have her own game. She's using mine. I can't help her out. So if she wants to go onto the auction house and spend a little bit of gold to make herself a little bit stronger, I'm fine with that. But where does that cutoff begin? I don't know. And that – I think John breaks up a good point. That could become a problem. If everybody the, – the desire from all this stuff, from the, the uh, always online connection, from the auction house, both real money and gold, all of this has been done to protect the player. I mean, I, I do not believe the grand conspiracy theory that Blizzard is just putting massive DRM in their title. Blizzard I agree completely. Bl- Blizzard is trying to protect their player base because there are a lot of gold farmers on Diablo 1 and 2, and the games were inherently broken because of all the rampant cheating. The problem is that if they don't fix the economy of the auction house, then it doesn't matter that people can't make godly plate mail of the whale because they're just going to buy godly plate mail of the whale, and that's a
4: problem which is a, kind of a concern of mine with the auction house. It's not that I don't like the auction house. It's that in Diablo two gold was, you know, Diablo three gold is so much more useful. D two was basically just there for, so you could waste it on, you know, gambling and repairs. Yeah. And in this one, in, in that game, you know, items were the commodities like, Oh, I'll trade, you know, people would trade runes or, you know, certain numbers of gems or, you know, I'll trade, you know, grandfather for SOJ. <laughs> and then, you know, you know, scam the guy. I never did that. But um, <laughs> th- that was the thing is people traded items. And in this game, there is a chat channel for trading items. But I don't see people. Why is someone going to say, I'll trade you this item that's of no use to me when I can put it on the auction house for eight million gold and it'll sell or
1: when I can sell it for real money? Yeah, during one of the design documents for uh, Diablo three, it was one of their like GDC press conferences, they talked about the the hope that they have when you get a piece of equipment, do you want to trade it with a friend, do you want to auction it in the auction house, do you want to auction it for real money or gold, do you want to break it down for material? They want to give you a wonderful array of things to do, and I think that the availability of that stuff is there, but whether or not it works in the sense of the economy, like are they going to go in and maybe get rid of some of the rarer crafting materials so that that way you actually do think that, wow, I just picked up this rare item. Do I really want to break it down or do I want to sell it? Like they, They're going to have to monitor it, and the problem is that they don't know how the player base is going to respond until you got six million people playing the damn game. So yeah. it's going to be inherently broken when it first comes out because just like any new economy, you don't know what the people are going to do with it just yet. You have no idea. So they have to monitor it, and I, I think it could become something really special. But John's worry, I think it's totally ju- legitimate. I really do, and it could it could blow Diablo 3 up, but I think that if it became
2: too bad, they would just rip it out. I mean that's that's the thing is like it could blow Diablo 3 up, but then again you also – have the option and this is something that was talked about when the when the real money auction house was first announced you have the option of just not engaging in the auction house right and i at all i've not engaged and i mean it's it's a it's a bummer because blizzard is trying to create a service that exists beyond simple drm and beyond simple protection for the players you know with battle.net they've made it easy for me to jump in and out of games with you know like Robin Steven and John but also friends from home and friends who I haven't seen in 2 years and you know people that I generally wouldn't play games with but because Diablo is this phenomenon you I'm able to and it's kind of a bummer that you know avoiding the auction house is going to be a you know a solid way to play the game and not ruin the the progression for the next let's say month or so you know they could could take them longer or shorter to change it but you also, you know, that seems like, you know, it's perfectly viable at the time right now.
1: So, Well, and we're also talking about a lot of peripheral stuff right now. We did touch, you know, lightly on the game, and I, I think the quality of the game is, is really, really special. I think that they somehow Blizzard came up with that grand equation that most other loot hacks have really struggled with, of I feel a connection with my loot, But just enough of a connection that when I get that new piece of loot, I get really excited for that new thing. And I'm not going, oh, well, that's going to be outclassed in five minutes. But I'm also not going, wow, I'm going to be stuck with this for three hours. They've really done a great job with that. I think the skill progression in the game is awesome. Granted, that's another aspect of the game that we don't know what's going to happen. Apparently, I've seen somebody take out the end of Act 1 boss on Inferno with a witch doctor in nine seconds with a certain build. And that to me says, okay, they got some balancing to do because, you know, I, I was telling Steven, I think the Witch Doctor is the easiest class to play as. I had no problems with uh, with Nightmare until the very end when they start spamming a ton of enemies at you. I think the Witch Doctor is a little overpowered. But is that something that they're going to change? I mean, some of the runes, I don't see the use in them, but there could be a use in them. That's the kind of stuff that will determine whether or not Diablo 3 is a game that we're going to play 10 years from now 10 years from now we could be playing diablo 3 but it's really hard to keep the content coming and to keep the patches coming i mean diablo 2 is not the same game that it was released back in 2000 it is a completely different game it was a completely different game a year later and i'm really excited to see where blizzard goes you know and i'm not already done with the main game i'm, I'm still playing it and really enjoying it but i'm interested to see what they're going to do I Yeah, I, the bottom line is
4: I think the game is fantastic. The combat is a blast. It's polished. The music is great. The gra- the game looks great. Whether or not you think it's too colorful, I don't care because I think it looks awesome. Um, But the longevity is what's in question, and I think people are right to be questioning that because as it is now, the game is fantastic. But in five years, will people be touching it? That's very dependent on how they do it. At, at the game.
2: same time, though, the as it is now – is 11 days after the games came out. Exactly. the game came out. And so we have a little bit more time, I think, before we really need to start, you know, like asking those hardball questions. And that's and the, I, that's and the and
1: funny <laughs> part about this game is that this is the only game I think I've ever talked like this. You know, I didn't sit there when Grand Theft Auto 4 came out and go, well, yeah, I'm having fun now, but am I going to have fun six months from now? You know, I didn't... You don't think about that with a lot of games, but Diablo 2, which became such a huge part of our culture and video gaming in general, that's what this game has to do. I mean, that the – remember what they said when they were like, yeah, we're terrified of making Diablo 3 We're absolutely terrified of that. You understand now because we're sitting here 11 days after it comes out, and we're already talking about what they're going to do next.
4: And it sucks because it's not that I'm even close to getting bored. On the contrary, you know – Writing my review was a total pain because I kept going to play Diablo. I'm like, oh, I want to check this and make sure I'm getting my fact right. Oh, I
1: played for 40 minutes. Yeah. Oh, I think it's great. I think it's a great revival of the franchise. Uh, I agree 100% with Steven's review when that goes up. I think we're we're going to kind of surprise some people because you would expect us to give the game 110 out of you know 100. It, it does have some issues. I think one issue without getting too spoilerific. I think it's unfortunate that Blizzard continues to write the best lore in the industry but their actual story writing is bad. I I think here they just said well we have expansions so we don't have to
4: finish the story here. I mean they they finished the story, but there are a lot of things that left are left completely unexplored. You you get these hints of this really elaborate complex mythology that barely get scratched the surface of
1: well and there's they they still have those awesome blizzard cutscenes. i think the cutscene at the end of act three is drop dead gorgeous and very creepy i really liked it but it it was like the game ended and even though the final act it takes place in a really cool area and it's a really gorgeous environment you finish it and you're like that was it like you're like i want more really Which and is i think that's good that's the other problem with Diablo is that there are no set piece moments in this game. There are no, you know, like, you know, Kratos versus, you know, a Titan. There's none of that. It's really the 90 seconds of fun over and over and over again. So. I, th- I think the boss fights are significantly
4: improved over oh, Diablo, too. Oh, oh like, my God, yes, yes. Those are definitely set piece moments. I mean, I, I, I guess you can't spoil them, but. You know, there's one boss fight where you're fighting and then you're sitting there going, "This is way too easy. I win. This is lame." And then all of a sudden, it's like, "LOL, no." That was I just
2: I, I without saying what boss that was. That was my favorite boss because it was hilarious.
4: That was t- that was tied for my favorite boss with the final boss because
1: the the final boss was just like, "Oh, you like Diablo 2? Here you go." Yeah, and it was a good version of the Diablo 2 fight, which, you know that fighting Diablo and Diablo 2 as a level, you know, 30 necromancer was practically impossible. I just had to keep dying and keep doing a little watching damage.
4: him hit your skeletons and just instantly kill
1: them. Yeah, I mean, and they've done a really good job of that. I think one thing and I brought it up on the pre-show warm-up and it it's an interesting aspect of Diablo 3 is that because of what they did with the uh, the single-player campaign of StarCraft 2 and how different and unique and always changing that game was, I do think Diablo 3 looks a little underwhelming in comparison. Not saying that it's a bad game. I enjoyed Diablo 3 more than StarCraft 2, but I think StarCraft 2 single-player was so much more daring and tried to do so many different things that Diablo 3 doesn't do that, and by comparison it looks a little bit shoddier because of that. It's just an interesting like uh, there was I was waiting for that like StarCraft 2 moment of like holy crap that's a really good idea and it never really came. Yeah. Are you talking like plot-wise or well not just plot-wise. I mean uh, that's not the main point but just like the way that every every single mission in in StarCraft 2 was different.
0: Yeah, it, it you have unique things to do. Whereas I think my issue with Diablo as is, is I, I think Diablo is fun, but unlike these guys who are playing eight hours at a time, I find <laughs> myself struggling to play more than twenty or thirty minutes. Because for me it's just like, okay, I want to click a lot. And then I'm gonna click a lot some more. And then <sighs> click a lot some again. But I do like And then I'm gonna click a lot.
2: There's a lot of clicking.
1: But I think you like the game, though, John. I think you do like it, but even though it's not your cup of tea.
0: Yeah, I and to be completely fair, really the only kind of loot, I need loot game that has been, you know, I'm like, I really like this is Fantasy Star uh, Portable.
4: Oh, yeah, that was a great one.
0: But yeah, no, you're right that it's not my style of game, even though I buy Torchlight and I bought Titan Quest and I bought all these kinds of games they're good for playing in in short spurts but they're not the kinds of games that I can sit down and okay I'm gonna play this for any length of time
1: see and I find it so relaxing like it's it's just a like relax enjoy the end of the day play diablo you get better you get more stuff I mean they just do a really good job job of drip feeding you fun the feedback loop is brilliant
0: oh yeah i mean
2: on a very basic level it's it's just Hey, I'm gonna wipe out this crowd of enemies and then get some more points, you know, in whatever stat. And then I'm gonna be able to wipe out another larger crowd of enemies and get even more stat points. Which, if you know, if you, on a very reductional level, reductional is not a word. Reductionist. reductionist Reducing it to its simplest element. Yes, there you go. It's, that's not a word. It's um almost kind of terrifying that that we are so into that on, uh, you know, but you know, Hey, it's, it's Diablo. And uh, it's crap, really special. It's just...
0: Rob, you are so totally <laughs> caught. <laughs> hey, wait, are you, you better not be playing?
1: <laughs> I saw John come online and I was like, Oh crap.
0: Have I not been cogent? Like, no? I, I just had to check to see which one of you. Cause I knew that one of you at least was cheating and playing <laughs> while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you can't be mad at me. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Uh, it I, I out do th- my power. I do think that we should take Zach's suggestion and start transitioning to news. I would agree. Yeah. Uh, so... Uh, do we want to start off with the really sad news? No,
2: let's start off with the oh. frivolous silliness. Okay, so um,
1: silliness first. Uh, Demon see. Soul servers still staying on. Oh
2: yeah, I almost I forgot. That. Yeah, yeah, I don't so think we actually wrote a wrote a story on that yet. It's not. But, it's not up yet. Um, Atlas announced in their uh, their newsletter that they're going to have um you know they're just going to continue the servers. They didn't say for how long, and they didn't say you know really why. Wow. But there was a, it was, I think they're like VP of, of marketing or something. I'm about to pull up the, here we go. The quote from
0: probably wrong. Their,
2: v, their VP of sales and marketing, uh, Tim Piven, something, um, <laughs> Pivenicky, uh, was while it originally seemed as though it would be unfeasible for us to continue to sustain the servers, a number of developments have made it possible for us to continue to invest in and support our fans as they have continued to invest in and support us in Demon's Souls. For all the gamers who have yet to discover and experience the games online, uh, experience blah, blah, blah. Um, basically, servers are going to continue for a while. And I don't know what has made it possible. They haven't said what has made it possible. Um, but basically, you know, if you want to continue playing some Demon Souls, then play some Demon Souls. I actually was bummed that I forgot to actually play Demon Souls. Uh, when it was still up so i'm i'm excited to be able to to get a little bit more of that in but um yay more news, yay, more news. uh mass effect multiplayer dlc is coming out
0: uh, you plays a fortune now
2: yeah and there's like sweet laser whips or something are those the really
1: nasty alien looking ones i, I don't yeah. mean to be racist there but they're like they're just yeah, they're really the
2: ones nasty. with the
0: giant fangy teeth oh
2: yeah yeah but there's there's going to be some new characters, some new maps, some new weapons. Uh, there there's also I think there's like some new objectives and then Stephen oh, were yeah. you talking about how there's now uh well, it, it, like it's, banshees it, or something? Well,
0: it, it's a weekend thing. So every okay. I think it's every every other weekend they do an objective where it's like, "Oh, okay. you need to kill I think it was kill a million banshees across multiplayer." Yeah. And, and and they didn't do it. Like the, it was, I think it was the first one where the community didn't succeed at the goal.
2: Mm.
0: And so the repercussion was during the next objective weekend, which is this weekend as we're recording this, Mm -hmm. um, banshees spawn no matter what enemy you're fighting, which
4: is kind of awesome and chaotic too. Like, that's exciting. Like, I'm really happy with how they're supporting that. Like, you were saying, Zach. The DLC is adding those new maps and the new characters and the new weapons. But what's really cool is they're adding a new objective type. And that's like, you know, it's it's pretty significant in the space of that game because, you know, we've been doing the same, I think, three or four objectives since the game came out. So and that. Go ahead.
0: It, it, it's free. Like, that's that's the great thing is people, oh, yeah, like, to, to this is yeah, people like to harp on EA because they're, oh, EA's trying to steal our money. Blah, 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 blah. They stole our gerbs, but. They um, took our gerbs! Her gerbs! Um, that was special. But guys. Thank they they they're providing a significant amount of DLC for free, considering that you know you look at at Call of Duty, Modern Warfare three, and essentially they're saying shell out fifty dollars so you can get all the DLC and mass. You know, EA is saying with Mass Effect, Well, here here's the deal: we're going to create cool stuff for the multiplayer, and it's yours. Yeah, no, not I think only that, the
4: extended cut is going to be free too. So I mean, we have nothing in sight in terms of paid DLC for that game.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure that there will be paid DLC. Yeah.
1: It's, oh, absolutely, it's coming. But I think it's great. I think it's a good turnabout for uh, EA. You know, giving people something for the game and keeping people interested in it. It's kind of the and, CD Projekt way of doing things. So I'm okay goodness with
4: Goodness Knows they need good publicity for that game because it's impossible to talk about it without some bagging like,
1: "Oh my God, the ending is the worst thing since Nazis."
4: <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh my God. Oh, goodness. Dude, that's the that's more the news. Of, hey guys, that's, more news. That's how bad it gets <laughs> on the internet. So East Origin is coming out next week, and you know, it's uh coming off of the, the release of what Oath and Fulgana came out, right? Uh yeah. on Steam. And so we're looking at fifteen bucks ish, maybe. Uh that's what Oath of Fulgana looks like. So I think it's gonna be
0: nineteen ninety nine for Origin.
2: Really? Oh, okay. So oh on Origin.
0: Uh, no, no, no. Ease Origin is what nineteen ninety nine. Okay, okay dokie. Yeah. E's um, scared so, Yeah, I was uh yeah. now, if, I, I, can't support the I think e it's so, because yeah. Fel Felgun has already been released and that was the price point of the PSP title right now it's ah, $19.99. Right. Uh, okay.
3: whereas
0: whereas origin is for North American audience is a brand new title. Okay,
2: gotcha. So yeah, so coming out uh May thirty first, so that should be I guess by the time you hear this, you'll you'll be real close. Uh, and, and keep an eye on that. We have, as we mentioned before, Diablo 3 broke some sales records. The actual numbers are 4.7 million at the end of day one hmm. and 6.3 million at the end of the first week.
4: In other words, um, the people at Wiz- Blizzard who are already swimming in pools of money are now drowning in pools of money.
2: Quite a great many pool of money or something.
4: For for them, Diablo three is the mob they've killed with loot popping out of it. Oh,
0: you know what? what, One thing that that I wish that I had done that I I joked about having done is is recording the number of clicks in a Diablo session. Uh, (laughs) Like uh, you don't want to do that. Like how many times do you click your mouse compared to like average when you're web surfing, when you're playing another game? But.
1: Oh, uh, but it's so satisfying. Yeah, I mean, they've sold so many copies of this game. I mean, anybody, yeah, I wasn't sure how well it was going to sell. I thought it was going to do well, but that is monstrous. Is that better than StarCraft 2? I mean, I know it it's a record.
2: Uh, like, probably. Yeah, it's, I mean, considering that it's the best-selling PC game of all time or whatever.
0: Well, the fastest selling.
2: Fastest, yeah, sorry, fastest selling. Um Best
0: selling still like The Sims.
2: Oh, yeah, probably. But um, There's like 50 of those. Mm-hmm. Anyways, more news. Um, I'll, I'll I'll breeze through the, the next couple. Uh, we have Borderlands Two getting a couple of limited editions. Uh, cool. The Rob might find interesting the ultimate loot chest edition, so he can put his cat with those damn bells in it. <laughs> and you know, so that's one hundred and forty nine, and you get a replica chest with like an art book and cloth maps, stickers, all these crazy things. Do I get uh, a Do and- I get a cat helmet? No, it's you get a little a little cat container, storage chest thing. Uh, uh, okay, <laughs> I don't know. Unless I saw some, com- someone on Twitter posted a picture of of a cat in the uh, the you know in that special edition bonus. So wait,
4: this is Borderlands, right? Borderlands, yeah. Okay, this, so unless it comes this, with this. a clap trap, irrelevant.
2: Uh, hey, maybe there is. I haven't. Uh, there's. I know. There's a bobblehead of some sort. Um, there's a Marcus bobblehead authentic Marcus bobblehead. Um I don't know if authentic Marcus is a thing or if they're just talking about the authenticity of the bobblehead.
0: though can can a collector's edition really come some with something that's inauthentic? I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I think it'll be really interesting.
1: Need. It'll be interesting to see how these loot games do after Diablo 3. Like, you know, I was being really facetious and talking about Torchlight 2 and how that was going to do after Diablo 3. But maybe the backlash will have caused these games to get a little bit more attention. Attention. So maybe, you know, Torchlight 2 will do something. Maybe Borderlands will, too. You I, know, I might be wrong. I, I thought I, Diablo 3 was going to be the only loot hack you need, but I could I, be
0: wrong there. Guys, I, I, definitely thought so- think- I thought of something inauthentic, which was the box art for Okami on Wii.
1: Oh. oh. snap. That was the beginning of Capcom's box woes, and they continue <laughs> to it? screw that up. Capcom, Capcom, Capcom Capcom. Capcom I
4: on the topic we were mentioning, I definitely think you're mistaken there, Rob. There are a lot of people interested in Torchlight 2 who are already who just didn't care about Diablo 3's direction or for whatever reason they were just more into that, and I don't think that game will have any problem. Finding a very large base. The problem is I think it's open multiplayer kind of like Diablo 1 had. And so I can say unless they have some sort of closed server for that, everyone can enjoy having their characters hacked into oblivion within 10 minutes.
1: Well, that was the thing about uh, Borderlands that I didn't understand. And, you know, everybody's sitting here complaining about the, the online and trying to protect characters for Diablo 3. And, you know, we can have a conversation about that, but, like, my buddies were going into the code of Borderlands and making characters and giving themselves weapons.
2: Like I mean, that's yeah, because which, the, the saves weren't protected at all. Exactly. You know? well, and,
0: and with yeah, it, the, the main thing that I see with Diablo is, honestly, the Auction House, is they're trying to prevent issues with the Auction House to make that relevant. Because if you take away that protection, the Auction House doesn't matter Yeah. because everything becomes one gold. Because you're just like, oh, I can sell whatever because I can make it.
4: Exactly. And that's 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 the whole – I mean, and I think they've been transparent about that. They said, you know, we don't want this because we have this.
1: Exactly. So I, I I just don't know. I mean, it'll be interesting. Yes, yeah, more, more news.
2: More news. South Park, the game delayed to quarter one,
0: 2013. Shocker. Yeah, well, I don't know. THQ th, th, th is kind of in dire straits right now. Yeah,
2: it's a bummer. I, I forgot that they were publishing that. but um, I just hope it's not canceled. That would now, be a real bummer, because I'm, I'm hoping I, that it's good.
0: I, I don't think they're going to cancel it. I mean, even if it's slated for Q1 at this point, it's got a pretty significant amount of its development done.
2: Mm-hmm. I mean, the only thing that I'm now worried about is that there's so many games that are being pushed to quarter one 2013, and it's looking like a really good quarter for games. But, you know, if South Park somehow isn't able to rely on the South Park brand you know then we we might that might be a bummer for obsidian well, what else I, re- got- I really hope good things happen for for obsidian because they've had some rough times recently
1: well what all has been pushed I know Bioshock's been pushed uh, BioShock, Tomb, Raider, Tomb, Tomb Raider. Raider just
2: got pushed something else big just got pushed recently that I can't remember off the top of my head but um, Darksiders oh, um, is
1: now like August.
2: Maybe I think someone was speculating that Grand Theft Auto 5 was going to come out t- quarter one 2013.
1: Uh, Grand Theft Auto 5 is May. I don't know why we're having these conversations. Is it? It's May. That is
0: Rockstar's
1: K- release Rock schedule now. Release like,
0: like well, it, it's it's on their uh, financials for this year. Which, and it, does that include May?
2: No, fiscal ends in April, right? Or yeah, I think
0: I think for 2K it ends in
2: April. Yeah. But anyways, um, CD Projekt has an announcement coming up uh, for it. Could be for their new RPG in a brand new setting, air quotes.
0: Yes, um, that that so which we we think is going to be modern or near future because they're the symbol that they're using to hire people is a gun. Mm. Uh, it looks like a nine millimeter, like a modern gun, not a revolver or anything. A CD pizza with
1: nine you, millimeter bullets on it. CD, can't you guys just make more Witcher?
0: I, and they are yeah that's, that's true it. i think they're getting a lot more people so yeah
2: i'm excited i i still have yet to play the witcher 2 that and uh something else that i can't remember are two really big games that i'm intending to play this summer before i did <laughs> dark souls maybe um yeah, it's good i played i played dark souls already um you but eat it though you didn't love it enough. I did not love it enough. But
0: yeah, but honestly, by the time that, that you actually listen to this podcast, you'll know what it is that CD Project Probably. has announced. We um, don't because we can't. Yeah. We, we don't know the future. So honestly, if you could send me an email and let me know what happens, but send it to me now, that would be appreciated. I just got really confused.
2: Yep, time travel, man, time travel. Uh, okay. Um, X Seed is going to be announced or uh, localizing rather, Ragnarok Odyssey. Uh, for the Vita
3: attack
2: sometime in 2012 um, I'm going to read the rest of these so we can get to the big big story uh, Grand Knight's history localization is cancelled uh, not a- yet. because uh, I-, I was kind of looking forward to that uh, and then we have Persona 4 The Golden coming to North America which was announced a while ago but it was like right after we recorded the last podcast so you know uh, just wanted to get that in there. So Vita remake, and then sad, sad news. This oh, day, goodness. Fair, fair gamers. Yeah. Um, following a whole bunch of financial woes, uh, thirty-eight studios and big, huge games have laid off their entire staff. If I'm not mistaken.
0: Yes, um, it's gone.
2: It's that's we... a real. Problem. So they, these are the people who brought you uh, more recently, Kingdoms of Amalur: Reckoning. Uh, that have in the past brought you supreme commander and a couple of other
0: uh, big they, no? yeah, gas gas powered with supreme commander
2: Darn. uh, uh it's that you know, uh, they, like rise of,
0: of legends the... rise of nations <laughs> and then they did one of the age of empire 3 expansions
2: yeah um and and in the future they were hoping to bring you uh code name copernicus their Amalur MMO but it's looking less and less like
0: that's oh, it's gonna... it, it's gone. It's gone.
2: Is that gone? All right. So that you that's...
0: know, it's 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 Homer going. It's it's just a little dirty. It's still good. It's that's still so good. good. <laughs> uh, yeah.
4: The from what I read of the financials, there there's so much in the hole that there's basic, that those games are that game is toast. Here, here's I mean,
0: my here's yeah. my speculation on the topic: is that Amilor? If you take Kingdoms of Amilor Reckoning as a self-contained unit. That game was probably profitable. But you take the Copernicus MMO, which they were working on before they even purchased— That was like a good five years, right? Yeah, before they purchased big, huge games. I think that that became a development money pit because—and this may have been top-down. You know, Kurt Schilling is a huge gamer. He probably wanted to make his perfect game, and there's no such thing as a perfect game, you know? It's, if That's you keep true. saying, I want this option and this option and this option and this option and this option, you're going to run out of money before your game comes out. And I honestly think that was the case here.
2: Mm-hmm. And I mean the, 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 the bummer is that um, if you go into a couple of the different press conferences uh, that, that happened after all of these issues coming up with the, the loans that Rhode Island gave uh, 38 Studios – You'll, you'll find that, like John said, there's this discrepancy between how Reckoning did and what, you know, what Rhode Island thought the game was going to do, or I guess more specifically, uh, uh, Chafee, who is it? Lincoln yeah. Chafee, who's the governor of Rhode Island. I, there's there's I, all these different people who think different things as you know, different levels of success. Yeah. Well,
0: and, the, the Rhode Island governor said, like, oh, the game needed to sell $3 million to be profitable, and I, I find that mind-boggling, and I don't think that's true. Yeah, I think, I think that that total would include what would be required to fund Copernicus mm. considering a zero sales from Copernicus.
2: Yeah. yeah. Th- um, there's and I mean, no way. In, in addition to that, you also have the issue where, you know, there, there was apparently some sort of disconnect between what Rhode Island was saying in regards to the, the firing of the whole staff and what 38 studios is doing. And so there's, still apparently an opportunity or was an opportunity for some other publisher or some other investor to come in and pick up these properties and you know keep the the staff going but i guess at this point it's looking less and less likely that that's actually going to happen
0: what there i was, think is going to oh go ahead oh say i
4: was going to mention i thought i read too that i guess like after they all got fired they also got notified by the company that People who had relocated to Rhode Island uh, and sold houses in Massachusetts actually didn't have those houses sold. So banks were contacting these employees going, yo, why aren't you paying your mortgage?
0: Yeah,
5: oh,
4: which, which
0: seemed like I, I think that honestly there was gross mismanagement going on on the 30s yeah. video sign. Uh, a lot of people are blaming Kurt Schilling, and I don't think that that's necessarily where the blame lies in regards to that sort of mismanagement. Like, I can't imagine him going, oh, yes, let's let's lie to our employees and do something else. Yeah. But I do think that there was there was mismanagement going on. And, you know, what? it's certainly possible. You know, I I, I having met Kurt Schilling at an SOE event years ago, he's a very nice guy. Um, but I can't tell you what his business acumen is.
4: Yeah. I mean, it could very well have been that he was really passionate and excited about it, but just didn't you know, he was you know, dewy eyed or- optimism.
0: Yeah, or he, you know, he says, OK, I'm going to give, you know, this is the board and their officers just completely effed things up. That's a possibility. You know, we don't we don't know yet. It's yeah, still we're, we're, really not gonna, we're not going to we're not going to know for a long time, I don't think. Yeah, uh, it, it's just so sad. Like It uh, is. That I, was I a think, solid game. I think and the it, property it, is going to live on. We talked about this actually at great length before the show. I think that that what's going to happen is that some existing publisher and my my guess is EA is actually going to buy this franchise because 1.2 million copies is pretty successful
1: for a brand new IP. Yeah, yeah, for, yeah and, for
0: and a the brand game off. was mm-hmm.
1: and the game was pretty well
4: received, you know. I mean, I thought it was fantastic and you know, there weren't really many people saying this is a terrible game. There were a lot of great ideas in that game.
0: Yeah, I think what's going to happen is EA, as the, as the partner publisher for the title, is going to say, okay, this was a profitable title for us. It met our expectations. We believe that we can make future titles within this this scene. We've got Bio or Montreal. We've got these these ancillary studios that are used to working on RPGs. Let's hand this property to one of them along with this pre-existing engine, be it they may or may not buy the engine. You look at the Fallout purchase from Bethesda. They purchased the license, not the engine. But whatever, I think that that Amalur, in in regards to being a franchise, is not dead. I hope not. Now, Big Huge Games, they're dead. 38 Studios is dead. And while it's sad with Big Huge Games, and I, I really don't like seeing people screwed over... Had thirty eight studios not stepped in, big huge games would have ceased existing in two thousand nine. Yeah, and that was a good
1: point that you brought up in the pre show warm up is that those guys were already in financial trouble. They were working on an RPG that became Kingdoms of Amalur: Reckoning. They picked up the Reckoning. Uh, they picked up the Amalur license from thirty eight studios. So I mean, they kept well, they, them going. Thir-
0: thir- thirty eight literally bought big huge games from THQ right. when THQ was like, yeah, we don't have anything for you guys to give.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, that's a bit of a down note to end over. Yeah.
4: It just sucks to hear that that many people got screwed. Like, passionate people.
0: Well, one thing that was really positive is on Twitter the day everything came about, Um, like 38 jobs was trending. It's clear other studios are hiring. So, you know, it's unfortunately in the games industry, things are, are very, very fluid. In that a studio can exist one day and not exist the next, but three other studios spring out of the ashes. And you know, it, it, you know, my brother's been laid off. I don't know how many times, but he always finds another job because there's always work in the games industry.
1: I was gonna say, did he work on SOCOM Three? Because he should have been laid off for that.
0: I uh, no, he worked oh. on so- he worked on the original SOCOM. And okay,
1: he- that was a damn good game,
0: so he did well, not deserve that one. Well, he he got laid off several years later after that. But my brother works on network code. So really, if you say this game is bad, um, you really can't blame my brother unless there's significant issues with the technical aspects of the online game or the of the online. Which so if there are, you feel free to blame him. But and meanwhile, if you think that our podcast is bad, see what I
1: did there? Blame Rob. Um, it's all his fault. Yeah, I mean, Rob hey. is a showrunner. Rob, <laughs> show Rob is our Bill Lawrence. So. Wait, wait a minute here. Uh, no, I was going to say, like, we, we like to hear if you guys think we're doing a good or bad job. John, do we have time for maybe some viewer mail?
0: Uh, oh, it would have been nice had you told me that, I don't know, any time before the show so I could actually pull up the box.
1: <laughs> wow, it takes you so long to do that right
0: now. Dude, right? Okay. Has you, oh, how often do you log more in? More mail for next time.
4: How often do you log into
1: the one-in-one one mailer, all right? That thing is Pain. I I keep that thing logged in all the time because I never know when they're going to give me like Guild Wars two information and I get excited.
0: Like I get my email on my phone, but I don't get the podcast email to my phone. See, um, right now I'm saving. Oh time. man, we got a great mail. I love this one. Invitation to brain conference. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> okay, give us a real question. Um, let me see this this one. As we have. Our friend Alexander, who has a very, very long rant on Diablo, but I don't see any questions here. <laughs> he says that it's awesome. Um, yeah. Nah, 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 nah. He's glad that Rob likes Guild Wars 2 since he doesn't really like MMOs. Um, I don't like it too. Nah, 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 nah. No. Uh, not a raging fanboy. Nah, 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 nah. Uh, Servers are unstable, just beating the game. Diablo 3 is not a bad game. They're insisting it was somewhat fun. I don't see an actual question here. Okay.
2: Uh, hey, uh, I have a question. Rob, from your experience so far, Diablo or Guild Wars?
5: Mm.
1: You know, uh, it's actually a harder question than you might think. Um Guild Wars, I really did enjoy that free weekend, but there there were the beginnings of kind of like a little bit of uh, a little balance. It, there there was a little bit of a balance to it, and I, I was getting a little – I was looking for the balance in the game, and it was clear that it wasn't you know complete yet at that point. I'm still excited for Guild Wars 2, but I think it's going to take a lot to really beat Diablo, but they're two very different games. Mm. So I don't know. I think I'm going to like them both. But which one am I going to be playing a year from now? I really don't know. I really don't know.
2: I we will
0: find
1: out
2: soon enough.
0: Okay, I have a legit reader question.
1: Yay! Mm.
0: Um, hey, Random Encounter Crew, I have a question, if you guys have time to answer it. Are there, any, are there any classic games you would like to see re-released on PSN, Virtual Console, etc. that haven't been already? Not- Shadow
1: Hearts and Shadow Hearts Covenant. Please... I was gonna say nocturne, so it doesn't look
0: like ass on my HD TV. Ugh, you know the the Shadow Hearts thing is interesting, considering that it, it's gonna look like ass on your TV anyway, Rob. Yeah. Um. The the interesting thing about uh, Shadow Hearts and Shadow Hearts Two is that they were Midway properties, which obviously Midway doesn't exist anymore. And I don't know if anyone actually snagged those licenses during during liquidation. Yeah, I remember Bettenhausen was saying something about that on, like, an old One Up Yours podcast I
1: was listening to, like, a couple of weeks ago, that nobody knows what happened to those licenses. They're, like, out and about. Maybe Blizzard has them. Turn Shadow Hearts into a loot hack.
4: <laughs> you, know what, you know what else I would like to see released on PSN? And I know John will be behind this, and
0: it's impossible, but Phantom Dust... Yes, but, cool. well, that can that can theoretically be released on Xbox Live. It I'd be okay with
1: that. See, now, why do you guys think that, it, I mean, the upscaler on the PS3 really did make PS2 games look better?
0: <laughs> well, yeah, you, well, yeah, theoretically having a ps Better, but release, not great. Like, not
1: great, like, it didn't, they didn't suddenly look HD quality, but, like, I'm playing, because I have a, a new PlayStation 3, I'm playing Nocturne on my HD TV, and that just looks terrible. It looks so bad.
2: Bummer, dude. Should have played it in 2004 or whenever it came out.
1: Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to episode 45 of Random Encounter. Uh, As always, make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. Keep giving us uh, questions so I can spring them on
0: John and make him feel awkward as he tries to search for questions in long email threads. Podcast at RPGFan.com. So we're going to have an interview with uh, some folks from Atlas about Gungnir right after this. Uh, I am gonna we're going to go over the same stuff that I really couldn't explain at the beginning of the podcast. Hopefully they explain it better than I did. Um, and so, yeah, if you're interested in Sting's new title, you should probably give that one a listen. Yeah. Uh, so before we head out, I was thinking we should each make a wonderful E3 prediction. Uh, I will be very, very, very busy. <sighs> Come on, say
1: something controversial.
0: Um, let's
1: see. I got mine. No Final Fantasy Versus thirteen. Ha. I wow. Controversial. You're really calling the future there, aren't you? Yep.
0: Um, I think that some company that we really aren't going to expect is going to announce a major RPG franchise. Do you know anything? No, actually, this is nothing that I actually know. So I, I, I know some things that I can't talk about, but that prediction is not those things. All right. Steven?
4: I think at some point Versus thirteen is gonna be retitled type one. I think it's gonna end up being retitled Final
1: Fantasy fifteen. <laughs> oh, did you guys see that report there might be a
0: Final Fantasy uh twelve right. twelve three or no 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 so that's well no twelve didn't have a sequel, but that 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 rumor is like that the project that Grin was working on is being moved around to a different developer and it's it's I it's garbage, I think
2: yeah huh. i agree interesting my prediction is persona 5 deus ex no i like doing the persona 5 prediction but i would not mind seeing a n- rumblings of a new deus ex oh i think we'll see thief before deus ex oh right is it the same developer yeah yeah it is okay so then mm, i was really ah. i haven't Me been too. super it's up coming. on my rpgs so it's cool let's let's end this bad boy
1: Alright, well, once again, thank you for listening to the podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us as always. Uh, Give us reviews, give us comments and questions, and we will get back to you. Alright, let's get back to
0: the album. Hello, and welcome to a special edition of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. This is your co-host, John McCarroll. Unfortunately, Rob is not here today, but I do have very two very special guests. I have uh, Richard Rodriguez, who is the QA lead at Atlas on Gungnir.
5: Hi uh, there.
0: And I have uh, a man that you met a couple of months ago, Aram Jabari, who is the PR manager at Atlas. Hello. And uh, as, as you may have guessed, seeing that uh, Richard is the QA lead on Gungnir, we're going to talk about Gungnir, which... Uh, New title from Atlas and Sting, Sting being the developers of Knights in the Nightmare, Igdra Union, uh, Hexus Force, and all these other very complicated RPGs that many of you know and love. Um, so, Richard or Ron, whichever one of you wants to start, can you give us a brief kind of overview of, uh, if you want to, even Department Heaven as a whole, and then uh, how Gungnir fits in?
5: Uh, well, in terms of the Department Heaven series, like if you're familiar with it, like a lot of the games, they don't really kind of continue from one to the other. There's no, like, real connections between them, aside from maybe, like, a character here and there, and, like, the mythology there. So it really just kind of sits in its own little area within this series overall. I mean, the biggest connection to other games would be seeing some characters, like, Tamara the Witch is there, and, like, the, like, Norse mythology is, like, definitely heavily in this game, like with some of the other ones as well. As for this game itself, maybe uh, it's mainly just about, like, this kind of conflict going on in this nation where there's, like, this race of people called the Lyonicans that are being oppressed, by the noble race of the Daltons. And the whole story is basically you just kind of giving your ragtag group like trading resistance, like
3: making your way across the nation to kind of oust this like oppressive government that's going on. For, for anyone who's unfamiliar with Sting's games, uh, there was a really cool write-up I just saw by Cat Bailey on, on Joystick. I hope it's okay with for you, uh, <laughs> yeah, John, sure for me to... Uh, to, uh, to yeah. but, but she, she went into detail about the Depth Heaven series and, and just Sting's philosophy in general. And for anyone who's unfamiliar, basically, um, I think... The first one that came out of North America would have been Riviera, Riviera, The Promised Land, which was, uh, for the most part, I guess you could say it was more of a straightforward RPG than um, Igre Union and and the Nightmare, in that it was, um, it was not, you know, strategy RPG. It was, but it was unique in that it kind of depended heavily on the items. The items were very core Mm -hmm. and item management, weapon management, durability. And then for the next game, Igre Union, it was this very interesting mix of like real time and turn based strategy RPG elements. Nights in the Nightmare was this <laughs> amazingly weird mix of strategy RPG and bullet hell action. Um, so one of the things that the constant for Sting is that there seems to be no consistency or constancy between genre um, for game to game within the same universe. And it's it's very bold game making. It's very sometimes I think maybe the, from one game to the other in the same series, they maybe lose a, a fan um, just because like. They go from a traditional RPG to something that's totally crazy. But I think anyone who gives the games time and dives into them finds some of the most nuanced, layered, intricate, complex, and rewarding games. Even Hexis Force, which was probably the most straightforward RPG of their entire uh, universe, that was actually not. Death that was not Dev Heaven. That's yeah. right. Yeah, that's right.
0: So, with Gungnir, on a scale from Hexis Force to Knights in the Nightmare. Where where is it on the crazy scale?
5: Uh, I actually put it like in the lower half of the scale. Sure like you. it's pretty straightforward SRPG. There's just like a lot of little nuances here and there. It's definitely not like Knights, where it's like its own genre entirely, or even Yggdrasil. I'd say it's basically around like where Riviera is, like in terms of how far off it is from the natural RPG. Much RPG in this case.
3: Much closer to Luminous Arc, Final Fantasy Tactics, mm-hmm. and and the kind of the tried and true Disgaea. Uh, the pillars of the genre, as opposed to something more experimental, I think, like and in.
0: Well, it's it's interesting that you draw a comparison to Disgaea. I, I've only had a chance to play a few hours of the game, but it seems very interesting that that things in in uh, Gungnir are very focused about time, whereas Disgaea, you had you know you could move your characters around almost indefinitely. It seems like like Gungnir is very controlled. You get one turn every now and again. You can move one character, but then you can interrupt. You can speed things up. You can move your turns around. Uh, and kind of, can you go into detail about this time system for our for our listeners? I just find it very intriguing.
5: Oh, yeah, well, it's kind of like how you said, where like it, they put a lot of control or restrictions on like what you can do, but at the same time, it's very open. Cause on the one hand, yeah, you can only control one character when it's your party's turn to act. However, you can control like any character you want. You know, you can keep controlling the same guy over and over during your turn, and only. Switch over to those support characters, like when it's
3: useful. And that structure plays into the context of the story, right? I mean, there's, there's, like you said, these ragtags, this ragtag group comes together. They don't have an indefinite amount of time to. Oh project. yeah, you could look at it like that. Just in terms of like their kind of low level
5: approach to it. You know, more kind of makes it easy. gorilla. Yeah, you know. exactly. Now, um, oh. alright, go ahead.
0: Oh no no go ahead. I I was gonna ask a follow up question, but if you have more to say, I will let you
5: finish. Oh no, I kind of clarified, but no, go ahead. Yeah.
0: No, so uh, in in regards to being able to control one character over and over again, one thing that I've seen happen in in many a strategy RPGs, specifically Fire Emblem, is you really focus on one character and then mm-hmm. you kind of get screwed over. I mean, do you think that that I don't know. I, I, what, what are your thoughts on that? I haven't gotten to the point where I can only use one character. I have to heal. I have other support stuff, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, th- I think honestly, you have to move around with, with the beat system. So I oh, I, exactly. I just answered my own question. So why don't you talk about the beat system?
5: Oh well, first of all, let me just clarify. Like I mean, when I was saying like controlling more than more, or using the same character more than once, like I guess I was kind of exaggerating. Where you're not going to always use the same character over and over, but like when that time comes where you really want to use them like twice in a row, you know, you have that option. And even in terms of using the same character, like they have their own wait time meter, which will increase. And if you want to keep using them, like they'll start uh, their max HP will actually start dropping. So there are definitely like things in place that kind of force you to move around and use the other characters as well. But uh, like you said, the beat system, yeah, it's definitely one of the better like systems within the game where you look to use all your party members. Attack like anywhere from two to three or four characters all all at once. And it's really where a lot of the strategy in the game is in terms of like you know. Controlling the battlefield, like placing your units in the, units in the right spots before you wait to like take the time to attack. It can be the difference between like a hundred damage
3: attack versus five hundred damage one. And risk reward is like a very long running theme in Sting games. Um, I mean, I remember Hexes had a system that was based almost entirely on risk reward and how you would allocate, um, your, like your points and for your special abilities mm-hmm. in battle.
5: No, yeah, that's a very good point. Like, I know a lot of times, like, I wouldn't use the beat system just as like, oh no, I just I got to attack this guy like right now when I have a chance. But it's like if you use that forefoot. Like, no, if I move him here, wait to attack. Get my other guy here. Those two attacks will end up being more than what two separate attacks would have been on its own. Uh, it,
0: it, it seems like it works almost like the the link system from Front Mission Five, which is a game that I'm still incredibly bitter about its lack of localization. But yeah, it, it seems like you almost if you're more patient and patient and patient right up until the point where you can't be patient anymore it pays off the most which i you know as opposed to you know i playing tactics ogre you know last month where i just okay let's go grinding 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 grind and then i really don't have to use any strategy whatsoever and you know i i'm digging on the game so far um also it one one system that i'm kind of unclear on is the uh the you, you have all your story characters, and then you have characters that you can recruit. They just say, oh, they show up in camp. Would you like to hire these people? Uh, can you go into a little bit of detail about the mercenary system where you can hire people? I, I haven't really gotten in-depth with that, and I, I'm not sure I understand
5: it. Oh, basically, well, like you mentioned, there's the camp, and then there's also the guild. And the difference between the two is the camp. You only occasionally have like a camp area in between, uh, in between battles where you'll get new recruits that will like, automatically volunteer. But for the most part, you're going to get all your recruits from the guild. And the way the guild works is that you can offer up an amount of money, just like anywhere from like one to a hundred thousand gold. And basically like how much you offer and like depending on what time of story it is, that'll determine like what mercenaries you'll attract. So it's something like, you know, like I got 50 grand. Who's going to like work for me for that much money? And then from there, you'll get a set of three guys that you can check their stats and see which one works the best. You know, if you're looking for a particular type of unit, like let's say, Uh, wizards, you know, which only use like a certain weapon, then you would offer like that certain weapon along with your money, and that way you're guaranteed to only get uh, mercenaries that only use that type of weapon. And even then, you'll always, always have a choice of three. And of course, one of the drawbacks of the system is you can't just keep on offering money and think, Oh no, I don't like those guys, take it back, offer some more money. Because if you just reject all the recruits they take like 10% transaction fee no matter what, and you end up losing that gold. Okay,
0: that's interesting. Like, I I don't know. It, it it seems that that the systems really mesh well in this game. I mean, it's even sometimes on accident I'll have my character set up where you know it's it's beat and boost. And uh, w- one thing I, I'm myself, I I'm really bad at reading tutorials, so this is why <laughs> I'm asking a lot of questions. So it's like, oh, this is tutorial, hit buttons, and it's really not something that you can do in a sting game. But can, yeah. you, can you talk to me about like finding the bases on the map? I know that that, that contributes oh, yeah. to the amount of tactics that you have, but I'm not sure 100% how. Uh,
5: yeah, well that's true. Well, basically every base you get, will, or sorry, every base you get will increase your maximum amount of tactic points by two. So you start off, you can only get a max of ten, but by if you take over the whole map, you get as much as twenty. And the reason you want to increase tactic points, or how you increase the actual tactic points themselves, it's basically just by moving along the map. So if you're like just sitting in the same spot attacking an enemy and like not actually moving around or just trying to like exploit the same area, you're not going to get a lot of tactics points. But for every step to a new square that you guys take, that'll increase it. In terms of actually using the points, there's... Well, first, there's the obvious stuff like the beat tactics, which it requires certain amount. You know, boost tactics, those require a certain amount. Same thing with, like, scramble as well. But then there's also, like, more minor stuff, such as there's weapons that have... They have a base damage value and then they have a base like tactical damage value. And weapons that have a tactical damage value will increase their damage will increase with your tactics. And it gets to the point where like the tricker's attack might do as much as like triple damage if you have a lot of tactic points So that's something that's definitely like worth, you know, keeping an eye on and going for over the course of the battle. Okay.
0: So sure. Oh, good. I'm sorry.
3: Uh, well, John, I wanted to say you—you uh, you kind of—you talked, I mentioned a couple times about how there's a lot of balance to how all these different tactical elements that are in the game. And I, I wanted to reiterate for anyone who has never really played a sting game, there is this consistent thread of um, the more you invest in a sting game, whether it's an RPG or a strategy RPG or one of the kind of bizarre amalgams that just works of both. You, the more you invest, the more you get out of it. It's a very, um, the games are rewarding the deeper you go. And some people, I think, are overwhelmed by the number of menus and, and so much text, so mm-hmm. many statistics. But the, the thing that I think, the, the takeaway is for anyone who's just looking for a, like a strategy RPG, they'll find a lot to like with Gunnir. It has a lot of the same, you, you have to command, you have to manage where your, your units are on the battlefield, and you have to basically be smart about your tactics for the most part. But there's a lot of these systems and and, um, elements that you can dive into. And I'm not saying they're all fully elective and optional. I I think the game is rather hard if you don't know how to properly use things like the feed system. But but if you really want to dive into it just to the bottom of the pool, you'll find the game is willing to reward you for every step down you go. So um, for anyone who's kind of never played a Sting game and wondering, it's, Gungnir, like all the other games in the in, in their lineup um, or their library, is um, willing to meet you every step of the way.
0: And I found Gungnir to be a little bit more friendly than both Knights of the Nightmare and uh, and Igra Union, which which is a positive for me. I mean, they they don't lack the depth that the other games have, but they're they're certainly more friendly to to newcomers or people who don't, or at least thus far who don't want to dive. You know, and, and min-max after every battle, which is certainly a positive.
5: It's definitely a lot more like familiar like game mechanics. Yeah. Kind of yeah, yeah. Other ones so, uh, Gungnir
0: is a PSP title, and I wanted to hear, uh, since, since Atlas does a lot of localization of Japanese titles, what do you guys think about the current market? You know, it seems like every other news story that we're publishing from Japan is a new game on the PSP, but the platform's all but dead here in North America. How do you think that those the, the I, what what are your thoughts on kind of the PSP market as it stands right now?
3: Well, the the you're I think you're right to identify it as um, more vibrant or more healthy in Japan. I think that there's just from an objective standpoint, when you look at this, the numbers um, and Monster Hunter, I think was this tremendous beast. In Japan, in terms of moving PSP systems, um, we we don't necessarily we don't view the PSP as um, as we look at it as a very viable platform for our fans. We've had a lot of great titles under our brand come out on PSP. We know a lot of our fans have a PSP, or maybe they've they've upgraded and they have the the PlayStation Vita. But with the Vita, they still have the ability to to purchase. Gunn or you know, the game that comes out the month after that, Girl Lance or Wayfarer of Time, which are they're both really in the same genre, the same target player. And so, I think the reality of the Japanese game market is that, um, as there, there is, um, you, handhelds are huge in Japan. I think from a development standpoint, there's, there's some element where it's, it's, you can be a little faster and a little lighter on your feet when you're developing for handheld, but also I think handheld just as a play style is super popular and you know you when i was in uh, tokyo a year and a half ago you, everyone is is far more comfortable busting out a, a psp or 3ds or vita just in public they didn't have a vita back then obviously, but like in, in the in the subways and um so th- those games are coming out in japan and we a lot of people ask us about our direction as a publisher and they think that oh atlas is going all western rpg and atlas is abandoning japanese rpgs and it's not really the case uh, although it keeps coming up. It's just a matter of what games are available for us to bring out that that fall into that, that tradition of ours and gun near grow Answer, fall into that hundred percent. Yes. The PSP is not the same system in terms of maybe trajectory today as it was two years ago, but we believe in uh, the user base, the install base. We believe in there being this fan base. That's that's still excited for this kind of game. And, Um, So we're we're still confident to put it out. It's 2012, and obviously there aren't another 10 years of legs under the PSP, but um, we have this really cool way in which we can deliver the game on UMD, and we are planning a a simultaneous launch on PlayStation Network when the game releases in, uh, in June, and so... We can cater to PSP Go users, we can cater to PlayStation Vita users, and it's our intention to do everything possible to make sure the game is compatible at launch on Vita as well. So um, we, we look at it as a really big audience.
0: Okay. Now, um, here, here's the hardball question that you're not going to like. Sting had released a couple of games in Japan for the PSP, Blaze Union and Gloria Union. It is you know, it seems like Atlas has published just about every other Sting game in North America. Is there a reason why these were passed over?
3: Um, there is no one reason for those titles or for any title that I can ever cite. Um, there are a, a number of factors, though, that play that come into play um, in in. Most recently, a lot of the times it's been an issue of um, looking at specific titles and just thinking about based on what the game is how um, how how feasible or how how likely the the game's path to profitability would be because at the end of the day, you know we, we still want to be able to continue our business and keep the keep the lights on and um I'm not necessarily saying that any one game is is less likely to be profitable here. But uh, we, I, I think, in some specific cases, it was maybe decided that um, the projects would have a, a tougher path to come here, and there are other factors as well. A lot of times, the game, the amount of voice acting, that's in a game. For example, we got Girl Wayfarer of Time that comes out in July, and um, you know, we we look at that game as a project that it's been Girl Answer Four was expected or, or desired by fans in North America for a very long time. Two and three came out, five came out, and fans were asking, you know, four is considered one of the best in the series. And so we're, we're going to release it, and we were very upfront about the fact that apart from the anime cutscenes, um, we wouldn't be able to voice the game. That was one of those difficult decisions that we had to make because we wanted to bring the game out, um, and, and yet we knew that it would be far more expensive and difficult for us to go ahead and do the full, full localization. Uh, it's not that we didn't want to. It's not that we were looking to cut a corner. Um, it was just a matter of, is it better at the end of the day for us to be able to deliver this game in English in you know, with this one concession uh, for our fans or for it to never come to the States? And sometimes we're able to make a decision like that. And then sometimes we just decide it's, it's not going to work.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it blows my mind sometimes we I forget what it was. Oh, XSEED announced um uh, Way of the Samurai 4 being a digital only title. Mm-hmm. And we we had people on our message boards and our Facebook saying, well, I'm not going to buy this game because it's digital only. And I don't get it because I'd rather have more games in English, no matter the format, than no games in English.
3: Um, there's two things on that. I, I, I think I, I would imagine that people with that sentiment, it's less about the fact that um, they it's less about viewing net digital as a negative from the standpoint of um, I, I think I think a lot of our fans, too, they really want to own games, and they, they like the, being able to hold the game in their hands. I don't think that's a reflection on the game at all. In fact, I was up in San Francisco and had a chance to run into the Exceed folks, and I saw Wave of the Samurai 4 in person, and it it actually is a fantastically entertaining game. Um, You'd you lose a little bit of visibility when you're just downloadable, and, I mean, obviously it's really nice to have a product on a shelf, but, yeah, I, I, I'm definitely with you. There's such a uh, an opportunity. I think it's very analogous to something like a Kickstarter. Like there, the game wouldn't come out if, if, if it was, you know, the, the physical package has a lot of costs and, and overhead and things involved that make it far less feasible. Um, and it's, it's kind of like uh, if, if, if you can find a way to bring it over, wouldn't you rather have it in some form than not at all? And, and like you said, it's, it's, but I, but I can understand when people have those, that reaction, I think it's a gut reaction. I think people just that maybe they don't want to be tied to a, 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 a you know, storefront an online storefront. They want to physically hold the game. I like smell manuals. You know that, John. I'm, <laughs> I'm a notorious manual smeller.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, what? I, I think that oftentimes you know people's bark is worse than their bite. You know, we we've seen the the massive uproar about you know Diablo three, which even though it's not the reason Rob's not here, I'm gonna say that it is. Um, and, you know, Blizzard comes out that it sold 6.7 million copies or whatever it was in its first week. So I think that, that, you know, sometimes we get people that are angry, but you know, at at the end of the day, they decide that they want the game.
3: I've read a lot of articles recently about the merits of pre-orders and what are they for? What are reserving get copies of games for? And For anyone who has that kind of, that, that, that feeling or that sentiment, um, the one, reality for small publishers for niche publishers like us uh, is that those pre-orders are invaluable metrics and analytics for um, our retail partners to figure out whether a game uh, should be brought in 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 any sort of reasonable quantity and when that isn't there it's very difficult for them and then in turn for us to justify physically producing the game because again physically producing the game, there are limits to how many quantities have to be made. And um, obviously you have all these shipping costs There's the dry goods, the manual and things like that. So while I I don't think any publisher wants to just, you know, if if we could, if everyone could make a physical product in addition to having a downloadable version, I think everyone would, because that's one more way to reach a customer that might not otherwise get the game. The reality is there sometimes there just isn't enough. it, It ends up being too big of a leap of faith. And, um, we, we are endlessly optimistic and hopeful, and, you know, I mean, there's like cans of unicorn meat in the office. You know, we, we are believers, you know, we, but there's some leaps of faith that are just too big for us to make because we, we, we really do need to plan out a future that involves the, the light staying on here at Atlas. And, you know, I I would rather have the games come
0: over than to not have them come over. So, you know, it's it it comes down to I think a lot of people don't realize that while video games are fun and a lot of people view video games as artwork, which is not an argument I'm going to get into here. You know, at at the end of the day, it's a business. The people that are producing these are producing them so that they can feed their families and keep the lights on. So, you know, we, we can't get everything that we want, but we can support the products and the companies that do the things we like, like Atlas. <laughs> so, well, I I appreciate both of you taking the time to uh to talk to me today and, you know, we're very excited for Gungnir, which is going to be out uh June 12th.
3: Uh Gungnir is going to be out June 12th. That's right. And again, we're planning um uh, it will be released at, at this time the plan is UMD and also uh PlayStation Network. And again, our goal is to make sure that it's compatible for PlayStation Vita users uh, uh day one. So um if 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 you're a Vita owner remember that that's that's a high priority for us because we do believe that it, this game and then Growland's way fair of time we're going to see more and more uh digital or downloadable uh, purchases.
0: Yes, which by the way if if you don't own a lot of the Atlas PSP games uh, not too recently, you guys dropped the price on a great deal of them.
3: Oh, John, you're so awesome for mentioning that. Absolutely, we did. And specifically, the, the Sting games, the Dep Heaven games, dropped um, pretty dramatically, 50% in some cases. Uh, and so whether you're a fan of uh, the Sting games, the Death Heaven games, or if you want to check out our, our Persona series of games on PSP, actually... Persona One, Persona Two: Innocent Sin, and Persona Three: Portable are all available currently on PlayStation Network, and they all work on the Vita. The if you happen to be a Vita owner,
0: yay! So <laughs> I, I like I like those. So I also like Kenka Bancho, which is is surprisingly hilarious.
3: I, yeah, I know. I saw I, maybe it was on Destructoid. Some uh, user post had been or, or they like promoted it, and it was. Um, how why King Kabancha was one of the best PSV games or among the best best games of all time. And um, that's high praise. That's very high praise. It is an incredibly fun game for sure.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you guys again. I appreciate it. And for our listeners, uh, I guess this is the end of the podcast because you've already listened to Rob ramble on about Diablo for, I don't know how long that podcast will be, four and a half hours. Who knows? He could talk forever, but thank you.